Hello Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to a very special edition of the Empire Podcast. On Friday, October 14th, just the other day in fact, two very cool things happened. One, the first season of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, Prime Video's much-hyped, many-ballyhooed and mega-bankrolled journey into the lesser-known reaches of J.R.R. Tolkien's Middle-Earth saga, came to a conclusion with the eighth and final episode, one which contained many revelations, answered many questions, and, with a fair number of seasons to go, posed even more. Now, the second cool thing that happened is that we here at the Empire Podcast recorded a spoiler special podcast reacting to the events of that episode and the season overall, as is our wont. But we didn't just do it by ourselves in a grey, depressing pod booth, or even virtually, oh no. We did it instead at the Finsbury Park Picture House. We did it in front of 200 hardened geeks. And we did it with the company and assistance of the show's creative linchpins, showrunners and co-writers of the final episode, J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay, and stars Morfith Clark, who plays Galadriel, and Charlie Fickers, who plays Holbrand. So that is what you're going to hear. The Q&A are James Dyer and Helen O'Hara conducted with Payne, McKay, Clark and Fickers immediately after the final episode had played out on the big screen in glorious HD. And they were all in great form, talking candidly about the show's big twists and mysteries, the reasons behind them, and what it's like to squeeze starch from your eyes. A reminder... This is a spoiler podcast, and we get into it from the off. So if you haven't seen the finale, or indeed any of the Rings of Power, then highly to your nearest Prime Video Emporium, there's one in your pocket right now, correct that, and then come back here. So don't come running crying spoilers to us, folks. Can't say you weren't warned. Right, that's enough for me. Do please enjoy the spoiler special Q&A for The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of power. Look, I'm going to start with with the big thing that I feel like everybody's thinking right now. Sauron, how did this whole situation come about? How, where did you come up with this idea for this massive Ooh. rug pull? <laughs> sometimes we call him Halloran. Sometimes it's Saubrand, depending on you know sort of uh, what sort of mood he's in. But um, this is sort of exciting because we haven't done anything like this, the four of us all in one place. I don't think before, so we might tell stories that they don't actually know. Oh, yes, um, good. So I was going to go to the quote, okay. maybe. Yeah. Uh, um, so, so you know, our, our whole potentially foolish thing was was there's more in the books to be mined that would be delightful and awesome on screen. Um, and, and one of those things very early when we first started talking to Amazon about the potential of making a, a show in this world is this great line in a chapter of the book called The Mirror of Galadriel, where Galadriel talks about Sauron. She says... Uh, I, I know that, or I, I perceive the Dark Lord and know his mind, or all of his mind that concerns the elves. Uh, and ever does he seek to know mine, uh, or ever does he grope after me uh, and seek to know my thought? Um, but still, the door is shut. And and this line seemed to speak to like a level of her knowing him that was like deeper and truer than than a story that we'd yet 
scene. Um, and the idea from very early on was, you know, that and also Galadriel saying, being tempted by the ring and and feeling drawn to its power and admitting that about herself. Um, we, we felt there was a delicious story to be told there. And we, we loved the idea of, you know, Tolkienian pairings and friendships and my God, could we, could, could, could there have been a situation where they might've crossed paths in a Tolkienian chance meeting? And, and it was sort of like, well, if they cross paths and it's like, hi, I'm Sauron, nice to meet you. Then, then, <laughs> then there's, there's no story, there's no relationship, but we know that he is one who comes in many forms and many guises, especially in the second age. Uh, and so he said, well, what if they were to meet under circumstances that, you know, could um, be not adversarial, but could even uh, lead towards a kind of strange, twisted friendship. Um, and, uh, you know, so then we start thinking, well, how would you get them together? And and uh, uh, very early on in the story, the idea of Elven fading as something that was, uh, you know, sort of one of the big stakes of the season, you know, came to the fore. And we had the idea of sort of Elrond goes off and has an adventure with the dwarf to try to solve it. Galadriel goes off and has an adventure to Numenor to try to make a military alliance to solve it. And then we said, well, like, like how in, in there would we end up getting these characters together? And the idea of the jump from the ship to Valinor and then the chance meeting, which is a very Tolkienian construct of, of these, you know, chance encounters that end up shaping the destiny of Middle-earth, um, you know, came to us. And it, it's, you you know, the sort of terrible coincidence where the, the worst person in the world for her to possibly meet, um, you know, she she runs into on the raft. Uh, and for him, he's just found his golden ticket uh, to uh, be able to be catapulted back into the uh, world of spheres of power. Um, so that was the sort of beginning. Well, and, and then we like the idea of like a dark Aragorn, you know, the idea that, you know, uh, uh, um, he, he would maybe, uh, you know, play like a, a, um, a classic archetypal reluctant hero, but he was actually the reluctant villain and the joke's on her. Um, and then it kept accruing story from there. At a certain point, these folks came in, but I don't want to, yeah, well, I don't want to hijack the train. <laughs> when did you guys know? Like, at what point? Because it presumably changes the way that you approach your character, both of your characters, how you perform this. Well, we were officially told when we were in New Zealand. Mm. However, we auditioned together and Charlie had to do a monologue of Lucifer's. Which <laughs> yeah, was, literally, like, a monologue as Satan. So I was a bit sus when, we, when I did that. And then I also had to do a speech from uh, a Richard III speech. And I was like, okay, might not be the greatest guy in the world. <laughs> yeah, but then we were finally told, it was when we were in Numenor. Because we I did think. we did a few chemistry tests together, um, and we didn't really have any information beyond the script at that point. Um, but I think we had a feeling that the characters were significant in the law in some way when we were when we were testing. Yeah, hmm. I knew it couldn't end how some might like it to because well, the shipping. Well, Caliborn, <laughs> who I much desire to speak oh, with. Oh, not, not me. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so it always felt like there would be some sort of tragedy at the end, yeah. but we didn't know what. Well, we didn't make it easy on these uh, amazingly talented folks. Uh, uh, Miv, when did you find out who you were playing? Um, yeah, I found out when I was in New Zealand and I was also, <laughs> I was the first cast member there. Um, just going loopy by myself <laughs> and then finally Charlie arrived and then Markella arrived and all these pieces started to go into place but it did it was um it was constantly uncovering different pieces of the map we we have a tape somewhere of us uh meeting with Morva it's a terrible trick we played on it, it was, it's awful <laughs> Um, she's never talked about it, which makes us think it was really awful. <laughs> uh, but basically we pitched a whole story of a character saying, this is who you're playing. Luthien. I think we told her she was playing Luthien. And she's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then like, after like two minutes, we are like, no, just kidding. It's Galadriel. And she's like, okay. <laughs> 
was a lot to process. <laughs> this revelation kind of, it, it's part of, obviously it's, it's Halbrand's identity, but it's your identity as well, isn't it? It's, it's every part of her hinges around him, his existence, what he's done to her family. It's almost like she exists with a single purpose. And that scene, the revelation scene, which I have to say is beautifully written and performed, obviously. Uh, but it's, it has portent to it, but the face acting there is extraordinary. Because what is going through her face? The kind of like... Like, tell me a little bit Your face acting is amazing, Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think I, Gladriel is at her kind of most vulnerable to being um, to being deceived by yeah. Sauron during this because she is so one track minded, and I also feel that kind of what I've always loved about Tolkien is like the idea of community and culture and sharing things with each other. And she is rejecting all of that. She's an elf alone in that she's in Numenor, but she's also decided that her personal quest is the most important thing and her realizing i mean just realizing that it's you that's been in the wrong is just terrible mm. anyway but particularly when the fate of middle earth hangs upon it um but also by that point um like when we found out we got the script slowly um so when we found out that I was glad you were sold on. We didn't know how they'd feel after the battle. We didn't know where their storyline was going to go. So I kept on with every episode just feeling more terrible for her. Um, <laughs> but ultimately, she needed to leave that chapter behind. There's, there's and almost, <laughs> it feels like there's almost no. a sense of like release. Like she yeah. hasn't been making this up. She hasn't been just paranoid. He really is. Ex he really does exist. And he is a threat. Yeah, I like the idea that she was kind of I love horror and I love the idea of like the prophet who isn't believed mm. um, and that, yeah, there would be a, a kind of relief that she wasn't mad, but also the consequences of that are dreadful. So, um, yeah, a rock and a hard place for sure. I also love the fact that the Dark Lord Sauron is from Yorkshire. I think that's a particularly <laughs> nice touch. So well done for that. But like you guys, when you started this at what point did you think this is going to be or at least this is going to be a mystery because th that defines the way you structure an entire season doesn't it it's a different approach to a tv show that doesn't have a big reveal right? and especially when you have a, a switcheroo and then a reveal well okay, okay so all right here's the thing <laughs> so so we really are not about the like gamesmanship and the mystery and the like like screwing with an audience or or any of the things some people are accusing us of. That's like so not the god we pray to. We're 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 really about character and and this idea of this relationship and friendship that is actually like uh, twisted in the end um, uh, was was a, a way to get to know Sauron as a character outside of his mythos um, and, and, and a way for Galadriel to be wrong in a way that is, I think, I mean, as viewers, I think we feel heroic. She's trying to do the right thing, but in, in a way that is prideful. And I mean, you've spoken about it very eloquently, um, you know, but we're really coming from a place of character. We're coming from a place of like, you know, what would it be if these two powerful beings um, who are, are both flawed and have good qualities and bad qualities and light and darkness in them um, were to meet at this time in their development? What kind of what kind of adventure might they go on? Um, that that was compelling to us. And, and, and that felt like something that was suggested and hinted at in the lore. And, and the idea that then later here we are, you know, four years down the road and it's like this mystery of who the guy is. It's like, I don't 
we didn't we weren't really coming from that place you know we we were really coming from a place of 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 how do we how do we open up this world and introduce each of these characters in the most unexpected way whether it's galadriel hanging from a cliff in armor mm. um or sauron who is her like buddy and friend <laughs> charlie how how about for you you know because i i feel like you 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 tread a line of deceiving but not actually lying was that something that you were kind of, you know, working on building in layers to to that character? Yeah, I think the deception is it is layered, and it all it all depends on how you view the season, right? It, it depends on how you view his journey, because Tolkien talks a lot about Sauron being repentant, right? Um, and particularly at the start of the Second Age, it says he lingers very slowly in Middle Earth, and then he gathers his strength. And we see him coming from nothing. He's stranded on a raft. He's got nothing. And as the story progresses, he is, you know, he's spending time with Galadriel, but and he's saying, "I want to be, I want a fresh life. I, I can be good. I can start again." Um, so if you view it under that guise of repentance, then you, you can you can interpret it that way, I guess. The other way, though, if he is manipulating her, you can view it from the point of view as to well, maybe this is all like something that he's constructing. So when she says to him, "Come with me to Middle Earth," uh, and she says, "You'll not find your peace here," I think that's his way out. But it's, it's whether or not you view it. Under the question of repentance is really important because it's whether it's genuine or not. And I had an answer to that, but I think it's best left open for people to interpret because that completely um, colors whether or not he is deceiving her or whether he's telling the truth. Well, and, and, uh, yeah, I was, was going to say also, you know, I think uh, in the nuance of it, both things can be true at the same time. You know, I think uh, often there are multiple agencies striving within any intelligent being that are pushing them towards one version or another of themselves. I mean, in, in uh, Tolkien itself, you see Gollum and Smeagol, like literally is a bifurcated personality, um, you know, where, where you see this this twinning or this this, this uh, doubling that, that, that happens. And, uh, you know, we thought that uh, this could also be true for Sauron, where there could legitimately be a part of him that does desire to repent and to do the good, but then there's another part of him that is, um, you know, that the, the uh, enthralled to Morgoth, the shadow, um, that is always seeking for dominance over any other part of him. Um, and so, sort of seeing that struggle happening within him, um, you know, as as you know, part of his journey, that the the first season was something that was really compelling to us. But she, she sees him through her eyes, right? And and in the episode you just saw, he basically says, "No, I'm a good guy. I got a bad rap. I, I want to be good." And and she kind of nah, I don't think so, um, you know. And 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 so I think we all have an idea of of whether he's ultimately evil and manipulative or yeah. whether he's truly repentant. But, but you, but but you see him through through her, through someone else's eyes. You never see him. You see him alone once, right? And even then, you know, in in Arda, there's always someone watching. So I like to think that you know the gods are there. He doesn't know what the gods are going to do. And he's just, you know, he's just knelt before the feet of Yomwe and had to say sorry. He's screwed up big time. And um, so he doesn't know what's coming. Yeah. And I think that was something that I was, it was difficult to not know what was coming when obviously the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, <laughs> well, for me anyway, are just so massive in my mind. And yet this idea that they couldn't comprehend that the rings would be made and how different everything would be so that Sauron and Gladriel to a degree have an innocence to them compared to what they will end up as, even though. I love that. Yeah. 
Yeah, the arc of Galadriel from where you have her to when we see her in the Peter Jackson movies. Like it's, mm. it's a huge evolution of a character. I mean, obviously a lot of time passes between the two things, so they would yeah. grow slightly. But it's a, it's a fascinating art. And it's, it's, it does feel like you're meeting this great character, this iconic character, completely fresh and completely yeah. differently. It's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, I hadn't realised how just mad the elves were. <laughs> <laughs> and also like how odd they are sometimes. Which is the ones that meet in the woods? Thingo, no, Melian and yeah, when they just meet and like stare at each other for fifty years, like that type of stuff. I didn't know about that, and I was just like, wow. Well, this is why she can't keep track of human dynasties. I mean, what's a thousand years here or there? You know, it's like last Wednesday. There is, however, an unwritten rule in the UK, which is thou shalt not kill Lenny Henry. And Chris has. has <laughs> why would you do that? Have you to spent us? time with Lenny Henry? <laughs> Uh, all very Lenny sad. Henry's amazing. <laughs> I love him to like a degree I can't, you know, that wouldn't fit in this room. And infuriating. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's so fun on set. I mean, you know, episode three where he's uh, playing the master ceremonies for the uh, Harfoot sort of harvest ritual. Uh, you know, he would just be improving on set and tossing stuff out that was like you know, cracking us all up. And then in the ADR booth, similarly, you know, for every other actor that would come in, would do ADR, we would like sort of write out the lines for carefully, like figure out what we wanted for for Lenny on the call. She would just be like, "Let Lenny do his thing," <laughs> and, that, and that was that was all that was, was prepared. Well, speaking of the Harfoots, we have to talk about the other stranger. Um, in this episode, uh, Istari appear to be arriving a couple of millennia early. I mean, obviously, you're you're playing with the timeline a little bit here. So, can you talk about the decision? To- or are are we playing with are the timeline? You, are you? Um, there there are there are certain things in certain texts, yeah, and and Tolkien was always sort of going back on these things was, and yeah. evolving them, mm-hmm. uh, even up until when he died. Um, and one of the things he talks about is that there were some Istari, um, Oloran for one. Um, get up by an earlier name who would wander amongst amongst the um, elves, but they didn't know who he was. So the idea is that I there think are said the, the, the peoples, the peoples are, yes, including yes. elves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, we, but also, he talked about the the blue wizards coming earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so so commonly accepted that every dwarf woman has beards. Commonly accepted that uh, uh, elves have long hair, uh, uh, and wizards only come in the third age. But actually, if you do your scholarship, <laughs> <laughs> that's all I have. I think just drop the mic now just walk walk out (laughs) amazing a proper I think you'll find (laughs) we've only been in the UK nine months (laughs) does it sound like we're at the end of a press tour (laughs) just going to to the stranger who you you, obviously we we have shall we say there are breadcrumbs as to the stranger's identity but was that a decision you were like okay like we've had one big revelation we don't need to do, we don't need to pin a name tag on this guy. We can just we can leave it out there. We can just let it let it mellow and see where we end up. You know, it, it it again. It's all about character, and it's all about what is what is the story you're telling. You know, it, forget that it's called Lord of the Rings for a moment. Um, you know, the 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 story of 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 an unlikely friendship, and then you realize your new friend is like you know a bad guy. Um, you know, is a story that could work even if you weren't in Middle Earth. Um, the 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 story of an amnesiac who's trying to figure out who he is and and what his talents are and what his vulnerabilities are, and you know, potentially developing an unlikely friendship of his own. That's a story that could, could, you know, I dare say also work outside of Middle Earth and, and one that w- w- we found potentially delightful. Um, this, the stranger's on a journey of self-discovery. Um, and what name he may or may not end up having is, is one step in that journey. And he's not there yet, I think, I think we would say. And it also feels right to have him going off with uh, a Harford, a hobbit-like 
person, yeah. you know, that that immediately feels more Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, by the end. And not that it didn't feel Lord of the Ringsy before. You know what I mean? Well, no, but that, that's, that's the delight. Is, you know, something we, uh, one of our watchwords from the beginning was different but familiar, mm. um, you know, and the idea that it could start off different, you'd be like, oh, wait, this feels like something I'm, I'm not used to before. What is this? And then eventually it backs into something that feels like, oh, wait, wow, this is something I'm used to. Okay, interesting. Um, you know, that's just a, a sort of, you know, dynamic that I think we're going to be playing throughout the show. Mm. I'm I'm curious, like when you started this, because when in the very first episode you cover an incredible amount of ground in the first five minutes. Like there's a huge amount of stuff in that prologue. Was there a part of you where you were like, we'd quite like to play in that sandbox for a while? Like we'd like to have some big Morgoth energy in here, you know? Was that ever on the cards? We were like, no, this is going to be a second age story, and we're going to begin here, and this is where we're going to go. Yeah, I mean, well, there there were versions where you know that prologue could have been half an hour long. I mean, there or it could have been you know five five episodes long. I mean, yeah. there's so much you know lore and mythology to tell in in the first stage, and and um, you know, I we 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 wrote and rewrote that that prologue all the way you know from the writers' room through post. Um, and you know, there are versions where you could say, well, there's these things called the Silmarils, and the Silmarils contain the light of Lorland Telperion, you know, which were created by Yavanna, and like you could sort of go on and on and on, and and you know, then say, and then there's this guy named Feanor who took the light of, of Lorland Telperion, put them into the so like you know, Finrod was in the dungeon and he didn't really get killed by Sauron he got killed by the werewolves who worked for Sauron because he was in the middle of it with Baron and it's like after a while it's like Sauron's responsible for his death <laughs> close enough and and if you know the lore then you'll know what that really means and mm. and hopefully that's like you know the tip of an iceberg to like a whole other humongous iceberg below the surface that is another book that's awesome and wonderful and then there's a spider name. called Ungoliant that was also with Morgoth that was uh, sucking the no light season, out of the trees and no then she eventually ate herself and um, so you know no season two spoilers we, we went the, the, the bar was always like make it uh, something that super fans will be like oh my gosh I know what that's pointing to but also make it something that like if you came off the street and you had never read Lord things before never seen any of the movies never even like worn a ring before you could like sit down and be like okay i get it well just one last thing you know jd mentioned that prologue being um something that underwent the most amount of revision i would say actually the two things that that was the most amount of um uh love and care and rewriting in in a positive sense of just like this is a really high bar it has to be exactly the right thing would would be the prologue and then this relationship the, these two characters um and and wanting to layer it and wanting to build into one of them you know dis deception and truth in every moment and the other one you know you know a failure that is heroic <laughs> um at, at every turn um you know so so obviously we're all nerds here right this is a safe space and i kind of feel like you know this this show appeals massively to our people but <laughs> That's not the only audience you want. Like you want to get normal people to like it as well. So, so like when you're writing this, like how much do by, you by, by normal do you mean neurotypical people uh, or do you basically? Yeah. Uh, but do you know what I mean? Like so, so you've got to walk a very fine line there. And I, I always think like Peter Jackson did an amazing thing with the original trilogy where he opened the door and made fantasy cool in a way that obviously it was always cool. We know that, but but to others it sort of opened it to the mass market and maybe opened their minds a little bit so they're able to accept things like this. Do you know what I mean? Was there a question mark at the end? Of it's hard to say. But like, I suppose when you were making this, like, like, how did you pitch it in your mind? Were you like, oh, we could do what you just did and put all this stuff in there? Or you're like, we are going to lose people in five minutes if we do this. How do you thread that needle? Um, I think part of it was Patrick's mother. <laughs> um, uh, you know who he is. He's not been shy about saying is unabashedly like doesn't get Lord of the Rings. Like doesn't like it. Like you know, when when he took the job, she was like, okay. Or, I mean, I, I'm telling your story. I don't oh like, my! But. No, my parents had an intervention with me. <laughs> they they sat me down and and they were like, look, you know, the screenwriting thing seems to be kind of working for you guys. I really think 
let's be honest, nobody wants to watch Lord of the Rings. <laughs> you know, nobody, nobody really liked those movies. Nobody needs to see any more of them. I really think you should reconsider this terrible choice you're making with your life. Like, and like, we're very serious. And I was like, no, no, people like, like, would like to see more of Lord of the Rings. And they were like, um, so, so at every turn we're going, uh, uh, um, I I I'm going, my mom just got off board. My mom doesn't like that. Which is bizarre because they, they love Star Trek. And I mean, it's, it's like, you know, like, I think for them, it's like, well, they have pointy ears, but they're not Vulcans. Like, I don't, I don't understand. It's, but but we're, we're constantly going like, how do we, okay, you know, we're being cheeky. But at the same time, it's also about like, you know, I, I mentioned this earlier, forget that it's called Lord of the Rings, forget that it's Middle Earth. Um, you know, you know, is it emotionally uh, uh, engaging and 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 have relationships that 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 feel real and authentic? Um, you know, what is it a friendship you might be able to have in your life? Is it is it you know a, a, a father son or mother daughter relationship that could be in anything, no matter where it's set? Um, and and we're constantly trying to root it in something em emotionally rich and real. Um, and and you know, when I, when I watch the show at this point, now having a little bit of distance from it, what I really come back for is is the friendships and the family relationships and. That, that's really what it's about. It's not about Silmarils and rings. It's about, mm. you know, fathers and sons and, and, and unlikely brothers and, and brothers and sisters. And, um, yeah. By the way, I think his mom has come around. I see her on Facebook all the time, like taking on all comers, um, about the show. It's, it's really delightful and gratifying. <laughs> My mom thinks I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in, in terms of like building that reality and that emotion, you know, how much does it help to have you know, these amazing locations, these huge sets. Wasn't Numenor just one of the like biggest sets ever? Let's, let's turn that over to Charlie and Charlie and Mordvith. I mean, what was Numenor like? Yeah. I mean, it was massive. Someone said to me it was the biggest, I wasn't allowed to say this in press, so I might be about to get in trouble here, <laughs> but it was the biggest set in the Southern Hemisphere at the time. <laughs> uh, it was like a fully interactive town. I don't great. know, someone said. Um, there's just an Easter egg that I've missed for the whole of press. God damn it. Um, but yeah, uh, it was massive. We could just walk, we could walk around it. I think they built a harbour into which ships could arrive. Yeah, we were um, paddled in, weren't we? Paddled yeah. in. Is that the word? Road? I don't know. <laughs> no, in, in the third episode where they, they row them in. Yeah. That's in camera. Yeah. We did that. Yeah. Yeah. But also there was like incense burning all the time so you walked into Numenor and you could like smell Numenor it was really amazing it was um very immersive you could smell Numenor, could smell Numenor. it smelled great what does it smell like what does know. Numenor smell like incense <laughs> um you always feel that you are just a little kind of cherry on top of what the crew have made before you arrive um on any job but with fantasy it is so hard to suspend your disbelief when you're in a like porter cabin rehearsing like in your jeans. Remember the first time we rehearsed the raft scene? It was just tape on, yeah. the, on the in the school classroom. Um, I remember. Know. Yeah. And so you really feel so grateful when you get your ears on. You're in this costume that's been sourced from all around the world to get like old fabric. So glad you could be in something that was 100 years old. You're around this amazing set. I mean, it just, it's... I was constantly grateful and amazed and also touching loads of it that I shouldn't because <laughs> you're just like, wow, I can't believe this. Well, like, but I, I just have to, the cherry on top is a little reductive. I, I, I you know, thanks. we can talk about it as, as if we're viewers because of them. Um, you know, I, I love watching them. I love their dynamic. We loved editing their scenes. We loved watching their footage. Uh, you know, I snuck in and just caught a little of, you know, tell me your name, you know, like, and, and it, it's delightful. And, and all, all of the sets and all of the special effects and all of the costumes and 
all of that is, you know, something that, uh, as you say, like lots and lots of people put tons of time and art and craft and and love into. Um, but at the end of the day, if if these two aren't connecting, none of it matters. That's not the cherry on top. That's the whole ice cream cone. Uh, one of the things I really loved about the way you wrote, the way you put this together, the way you kind of performed it was it it didn't feel binary in terms of the morality of the characters. Because like, you watched Lord of the Rings, and high fantasy generally is quite dualistic, isn't it? It's good, it's evil. Like No one wonders if the orcs are having a bad day. Whereas, <laughs> seriously, but in this, you, there's an element of empathy you have for them. You felt, like Was that a deliberate sort of shift? I mean, I'm not a huge Tolkien scholar. I'm sure you can, there are many points in the appendix where the orcs have great time. But... <laughs> But, you know, but was that something you wanted to bring to this, a little bit more complexity to the morality? Because there's darkness in Galadriel, and there seems to be a sort of at least a conflict in Sauron. You know? I think complexity without reducing it to relativ- relativism, um, you know, there is real evil and real good in Tolkien. And I think that's something that people really respond to um, in, in part of it. And if everything becomes a shade, a shade of gray, then it becomes a shade of gray, then like nothing you yeah. know, has that, you know, stark contrast that can make it, you know, so uh, engaging and visceral mm. and, and spiritual. Um, you know, but at the same time, there are things you can explore within those extremes, um, you know, that uh, can help you to, to go on a, a, a journey that it can be more engaging on a character level as you're as you're watching uh, characters struggle with sort of which way they're going which way they're going to go mm. th- the villain never really knows he's the villain well i think that's the an interesting thing is uh, particularly and you see it in the raft scene at the end is sauron in his mind he he wants to heal middle earth and he talks about uh, Tolkien talks a lot about how he wants to um rehabilitate and reorganize middle earth and He's just pitching to her, uh, saying like, "This is going to be good. You want to help? If you help me out, it's going to be great. Um, I'm doing good. I'm. Tr- I'm. What I'm going to do is for the best. It's going to. I'm going to organize. Everyone's going to be really ordered. It's going to be great. And if you help me, and I. I mean, look, I don't see it as a strictly. I don't know. I haven't run this past you guys. Uh, as a king run and queen, by. a king and queen thing. It, I love the reflection bit, but it's not like. I think ultimately. If she had said yes, he's very much the king, and she's like his sidekick. Yeah. And when in that ruling, in terms of ruling, well, and it's not like a marriage How proposal. <laughs> no, exactly. So I think there is there is conflict in that in that sense. Yeah. I think also there's a saying in Welsh which um, is "Magobaith and angor the ogel," which is "Hope is a safe anchor." And that's something that I feel is kind of in all of Tolkien's stuff, but also that hope hope has to be nurtured. Um, And that's something that I was thinking a lot with Gladwell, that she's like, stop nurturing her hope. And then the bit where I get really cross with Sauron is (laughs) on the raft where he he manipulates her, but then he tries to make her despair. And that's like when you become truly lost, but also when you need others to get you out of it. And I think that's the thing is like evil... You guys sent me something really early on. Um, it's W.H. Auden talking about um, good and evil in Tolkien. And the difference when it gets to evil is it's uh, affection. It's, I'm paraphrasing here, but affection goes out the window. And you see this relationship and you see affection, but in the end it's only for personal gain. It's a fear, the f- like fear as well. Um and so it, I think the whole season you see them working together and they have this, this sort of, uh, we like to call it a cosmic connection, uh, not romantic. Although I got in a lot of trouble for saying that it wasn't romantic yesterday because of the shipping, the people yeah. shipping. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, 
and I think it's very clear on the raft that he's just using her for his own personal gain rather than any sort of love and affection to her. Obviously, at the end of this season, we see the forging of three rings of power, which technically he doesn't touch. I thought you were very careful about that. But um, what can you tell us anything about what that means going forward? I mean, three rings this season... What does that mean for next season? Well, I think we can we can talk also about the, the the sort of process of getting there. You know, one thing we were excited about, uh, you know, a, a show we watched right before the writers' room that was like you know, looming uh, large in our minds is uh, *Halt and Catch Fire*. Any *Halt and Catch Fire* fans here? Yeah, yes, yeah. that is um, a spectacular it, show, amazing show. And you know, what it does so amazingly is show the sort of process of collaboration and creation, um, you know, and how it affects you know personal relationships and and business relationships. Um, and so that show was looming large in our minds as we, as we were talking about this. And we said like, it's fascinating to think about the rings as not being a given, um, you know, what was the collaborative and creative process they went through to get there? Um, and you know, what if it wasn't originally rings? What if it was something else? And you know, if they, they went through setbacks where they thought they were going to have a lot of something, then they only ended up with a little bit of it, and the resources were limited. And you know, it went from being this thing to being, oh, well, maybe what if it has to be crowns? Or what if it's, oh, no, I guess something smaller? And, and you're saying, oh, crowns, it's sort of circular. I see how they were like getting towards that, and the idea that you know, each time you're sort of hitting the golf ball, it's getting closer to the green, and eventually to, to go it in. Um, you know, that, that there was something thrilling about watching the sort of creative process when the rings weren't a given. Um, you know, and uh, so then, and we also try to look at sort of really motivating why would anyone uh, fall for us around and say, but why would anyone buy into this? You know, the elves are in some ways so perfect and, and need free. There's not a lot that the elves need being sort of immortal and beautiful and, and uh, wise and, and powerful and all these things. We said, what would the elves possibly need? And that's where some of the idea of the fading kind of like came into it. Um, but so really trying to like sort of find a narrative that would get you to the place where the elves would be back to a corner and in a place of uh, potential desperate. And, um, you know, being there where you would relate to this character choice. Um, so that, that was sort of uh, the character choice to to make the rings. Um, so that was all part of the um, first season uh, sort of plan. And, and in the uh, seasons to come, I think we know from the ring poem that there are more rings coming. There's three for the elven kings under the sky, seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone, nine for mortal men doomed to die. So I think we can expect that uh, those rings are also going to play in. And we're also going to try to get to those stories similarly in ways that are not just givens, but um, we explore why that need would have come about and what is it about each of those peoples, what are they struggling with at this particular time in their histories that would lead them to be vulnerable to this kind of a temptation. Another big revelation in this series, obviously, which comes a little bit early on, is the creation of Mordor. Uh, like, did you go backwards and forwards on how you were going to do that? Do that? Obviously, uh, Adon never says the word. You have it revealed typographically. Like, what what was the thought process behind that? Because that's a big that's a big moment. So, so a couple things. Um, you know, thematically, one of the the huge uh, uh, themes in Tolkien is the destruction of the environment and and the the natural world being you know uh, uh, ruined by in, industri industry and the wasteland and Mordor and all of that. So that's that's one thing over here that I think we held very closely. And then over here, there's another thing, which is you know that that the fire mountain uh, uh, awakens and then goes dormant again, and that you know uh, 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 evil is stirring in Mordor and then Mordor goes fallow again. And, you know, the, the, that was another idea that we found very compelling. Um, and out of the writer's room, we talked about, well, you know, what if Mordor was beautiful and lovely um, before it became Mordor? And then that became the anchor for the entire first season that there would be um, a Tolkienian love story um, and a very uh, hopefully archetypal and relatable emotional situation in a world that they don't know is Mordor. Um, and that there might be this uh, gravitational tidal pull, 
riptide under the season where uh, uh, um, the audience at a certain point was feeling like, oh, I think things are going to go really bad for this couple and this world. And and Galadriel is the voice of that. There's a there's something happening down there. We got to get there. Uh, and that that would become the anchor for the whole thing. Um, but that if we could do the magic trick, it would be it would be that you would know this is going to go wrong and Mordor is coming somehow in this place. And, and that all of these building blocks and dominoes would be right in front of you and you would know it's going to happen. But still, when it happens, you're surprised. And, and it plays into that Tolkienian sense of dread that is so often, you know, of a rising shadow that it is nameless. You can sort of perceive but not quite put your finger on. Um, and then also loss. You know, loss is such a huge thing in Tolkien of, you know, this sort of uh, fading world that is you've receding behind you. I always think of the moment when they're leaving Lothlorien and they're sort of watching um, Galadriel um, just sort of fade away on the riverbank and, and um, you know, just the, the, this, this sense of sort of fading beauty and of, of things that are, are irretrievably lost in the, in the uh, timeless past. Um, so making you fall in love with the Southlands is this pastoral ideal um, and then uh, watching as it is destroyed never to come back. So Charlie, obviously you're you're headed there at the end. I, I guess a keen volcanologist and massive, yeah. massive. Walking straight. Yeah. So in the first episode next season, <laughs> we're going to have him. Charlie, no, we're, 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 we're going to have him swimming in lava like Scrooge McDuck swims in his money bin. Let's do the backstroke. What I took for that was that fracking will turn the countryside into Mordor. That was basically it for me. I love the I love the idea of this sort of almost Rube Goldberg machine that you make using the kind of the key uh, that's sort of been lying in wait waiting to happen. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was that was a lot of work over many 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 years uh, to link all those ideas together because a lot of them came separately. Um, the idea that uh, uh, um, you know there would be a love story that would be you know an, an elf and a human, and that she would be a mother, and that her boy would be drawn toward evil. Uh, uh, that was a whole independent idea. And then the I, now I'm sh- no, 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 then, then the idea that he found a thing that was like sort of an old evil artifact, and and uh, that you know it was this thing that grew into a sword when there was blood. We're like, that's a, a cool idea. And then we we're like, oh, but well, what if that thing's connected? To-? So that, that was a whole other thing. And, and then if, then the idea that there was uh, a volcano that would explode was another thing. And the idea that the orcs were d- digging trenches were another thing. And then like you know, eventually the idea that like the, the, the lake in the watchtower connected to the trenches, it could be accessed and opened by the sword that would go to the volcano and make it explode. We're sort of like br- bringing together all those different story elements sort of all in one thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I, I just I wanted to say something. Um, you know, you know, we were talking about about the loss. Um, you know, I think our our favorite episode ish, um, if when we're looking at it as viewers, is is the seventh episode. Um, and 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 I think I think the reason we 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 like that episode is, um, you know, there's there's not a lot of action in it, but there's a lot of drama in it, mm-hmm. and, and dr- drama set against this this huge. Uh, 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 canvas, um, and every single character is feeling terrible, terrible losses. Um, you know, you know, you know. N- no major characters are killed in the eruption, but everyone loses an innocence. Mm. I mean, Galadriel—that's the moment that she realizes, oh no. Um, you know, Muriel loses her sight. Elendil, for now, loses his son, or believes that his his. You know the 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 path he's been on has caused him to lose his son. Yeah. Um, um, Isildur loses a friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Theo yeah, loses his homeland. Yeah, his, his homeland and and the power that was giving him a feeling of of um, uh, uh, and and the the grief that every single character is feeling in that story. Um, you know, performed by these wonderful actors. You know, we. we 
we like it, you know, and we 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 feel like that's the thing. Like we're not we're not we're not about uh, uh, making an action movie. We're we're, we're we're the the idea of an epic drama in the in this world with that kind of scope with huge emotional stakes. I think that's what we're all swinging for, um, mm-hmm. and and trying to make every single day for for many years. Um, you know, it's, I think maybe our favorite like scenes in 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 that episode are, are with Morvith and and uh, Tyro as as they're journeying through the Ashland and then then going under the log. Um, you know, just the idea that, that they've reached this low point of hopelessness and that they're able to just uh, sit in that emotion and and have some sort of surprising revelations. Uh, um, we, but we also like when Charlie moans and he's on the horse. Thank you. That, that's the best <laughs> he, he's sort of, there's, there's a wince that you do. It's really, yeah. it's really beautiful. Thank you very much. <laughs> but it's funny because, I mean, that that episode, you know, the, the images that, that stand out are not the volcano exploding it's it's Galadriel's face uh, the, the sort of like oh my oh shit <laughs> the, I mean you know what the hell has just happened and it is I mean it must have been a I, I imagine it was actually a very unfun episode to shoot in many ways but just all the dust and ash in the air when you're yeah. at your eye I mean how was that <laughs> yeah the the dust um <laughs> it was just a lot of it <laughs> and I kept thinking they were done but then there was more dust. Um, but actually, the worst in terms of that was the snow at the beginning. This, this is kind of gross. The snow is made out of potato starch, and um, it's dry, but it goes... So we're walking through the snow, and also J.A.'s like, elves have their eyes open in the snow. You're an elf, not a human. So we're like, okay, like this, with all this snow being blown at us. And it's also like your fourth day. Yeah. <laughs> but it expands as it gets wet. And basically, everyone who was, all the elves in that, I don't know if you know about this, we were just squeezing, like, starch out of our eyes for days. <laughs> so that was worse than the dust. But I, I actually love filming those scenes because there were so many people there, and not just people, but stunties and trick riders. And, like, watching that was absolutely incredible and terrifying. But I really felt like I was in Middle Earth because these people were doing stuff that, to me, seemed like magic. It didn't seem like something that was humanly possible. And to be playing an elf, seeing someone being able to do that, I was like, ah, that's what it must be like. <laughs> <laughs> now, you're all essentially filming season two at the moment. Yeah. Is there anything you can tell us? <laughs> anything at all? Take 40, 50 minutes, just outline everything you can possibly tell us. Uh, so we open. <laughs> well, well, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Uh, Mr. Vickers. Ooh, this is dangerous. <laughs> Uh, uh, so Miss Clark has not has not shot anything yet, uh, but Mr. Vickers shot one shot. Yep, one um, shot. Can you describe without giving any story away what occurs in this shot? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is a major scoop, people. Okay, major. I think what is interesting about what we see early on is. You, you guys, giving, oh, now you're giving story away. <laughs> you guys have said this, though. You said a version of this. I read an interview with you guys today, so I'm just going to repeat that. I'm absolutely <laughs> terrified. You know how we see we see Galadriel um, at the start of this season, um, season one. Uh, part of this sequence that I've shot is we see the, I guess, the early story of Sauron um, in the next season. And... That yeah, that's the shot, but I'm not going to go into specifics. <laughs> well, the you shot, can. the shot is you get out of a cart. 
Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Literally get out the back Cart of the car. Cart confirmed. This will be the headline. Cart confirmed. <laughs> We're putting there the cart before cut. the horse here, though, right. so it's, uh, you know, it's a... Wow. Well, carts all over the place. I cannot wait. This is going to be amazing. Um, very, very quickly, just to wrap up, can you pinpoint a favorite moment each from this season? Do you have one? Um, I think... For me, it was filming that training scene in Numenor um, because there was lots of us there and um, that was kind of months into filming and so I could actually do all of it, um, whereas I never imagined I could and that was just great. And it was also funny seeing these stunties having to pretend that I was much better than them at fighting. And then your your favorite bit was there as well. What in the which bit? Well, oh, I, the sword flip. Char- Charlie had five different sword flips that he learned. They were all really impressive and amazing. Thank you. And we made him do the least impressive one. <laughs> one, the sword was, went flying. Um, my my favorite moment, I guess I can talk about it now. Uh, it's in the last episode. It's the, the scene by the river. And there's a moment for me there where uh, after, you know, being Halbrand for how many, however many years we were in New Zealand, um, to be able to shed shed that and be, you know, play everything that had been hiding underneath for a split second right before she tries to stab me. That was probably my favorite moment of filming, um, of the experience of making it, yeah. It's such a beautiful oh. scene as well. All those nice flowers. It's like, oh. It is very yeah, pretty. Yeah, it was incredible, though, like the green team there. They're amazing. It was so beautiful and freezing. Uh, okay. Um, well, you know, uh, there's a million, but uh, because we're here and we're, we're talking through it, you know, JD mentioned earlier uh, how much affection we have for the work that um, Tyro and um, Morvith did in the seventh episode and this unlikely pairing. Um, but, you know, we we shot, there's a scene where uh, the two of them are under under the log. We always talk, call it the scene under the log. And, and, and you know, some orcs kind of are o- almost find them, but then don't. Um, you know, a, that was a night shoot where it's three in the morning and we're doing Morvith's close up. And, um, you know, I, I I, I go go watch what she does in that scene again. I mean, it is pure magic of a level that like we couldn't write and no one could direct. That is, you know, uh, an actor really coming into their own, and 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 I could watch it forever. Thank you. Um, there are so many moments like that. I didn't, so I, I I probably would have gone to, to there. Um, I think also the thing that we shot right before COVID shut down when you live, look like right down the barrel. That's that's one. Um, and then another one, um, uh, totally random. I'll pull it out of a hat with like amongst my 30 other favorite moments. But there's a moment in episode two when um, this, uh, Nori is talking to the stranger. Um, and um, You can say Gandalf. It's fine. <laughs> Nori's talking to the How stranger. How dare you, sir? <laughs> um, Nori's talking to the stranger. And, um, you know, she's asking about his name and there's this shot of him from the side and he sort of looks at her with this like, this like uh, expression of just sort of pure innocence. And, um, you know, I just had a baby. I, we had a, I had a baby two months before shooting started, um, or you know, a month before shooting started, uh, season one. And uh, the ability of Dan Wayman in that moment to capture the actual expression of a newborn, um, <laughs> you know, was, was stunning. Um, as, as he looks up and there's so much just sort of wonder and curiosity, but also innocence. And, and, uh, you know, it, it's all just, and he had a, 
difficult task you know, this this season to uh, uh, perform mostly a silent character and you know to sort of start us off from for that place. I, I, I you know love that moment amongst you know, many moments in the season. Am I projecting that he sounded a bit Gandalfy in that last scene? Shall we? I mean beyond the beyond the line, obviously. Are, do, but, do you mean because he said a line that Gandalf said? I mean, yeah, no, yes, but also like beyond that, just like something about the diction or or the the t- the tenor of his voice. I may be projecting, but it sounded. He lost his accent, but I noticed that. Right. Okay. Thank you. I, I, I was about to try to defend Validation. by saying, "No, no, no." He talks yes. like a Harfoot. <laughs> Char- Char- Charlie said he knows that, but he's Sauron, so don't trust anything he says. <laughs> Damn it! No, but I, but I, I just would say, you know, when JD was, was talking about that moment, I, I also love that moment. Um, um, Dan Wayman's performance is something really, really special this season. You know, if if you if you enjoyed the show and if you find yourself wanting to to watch it again somewhere down the road, look, look at the choices he's making. Look at how he brings this guy to life. Um, it's really special and very strange and unique. And unique in a show with, you know, twenty amazing performances. It's so different and weird what he does. It, it, it's almost easy to take for granted um, because he's he's a mystery in a way. He's he's ET um, in a way. But 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 those are very specific choices and um, quite unusual usual ones and you never you, you feel for him but you're never quite sure you fully trust him and um, I, I, I love watching him I, I, I find it delightful Duran and Disa I felt madly madly in love with them and pretty much immediately in episode two and and also madly more in love with Elrond as a result of that friendship um, but h- how many drafts did all of those scenes take because I feel like that again is something that we haven't seen before and it feels like we should have it feels like a missing link really in Tolkien's world in some ways um, you know I mean the wonderful thing about this material is that it just is filled with end- endless inspiration um, uh, you know uh, we the analogy we make is like if we're oil prices Prospectors, you sort of tap on the ground and just gushers of or geysers of oil just you know sort of like spray out and that's what it is to work in Tolkien's world because it's, it's so rich so dense and so full and the idea of you know of, that there was a special time in the history of, of Elvendom and Dorvendom in which Khazad-dûm and um, Eragion are, are so close to each other and this you know sort of unique uh, friendship existed between these these two peoples at that time you know was one real source of inspiration so you know the, the idea that you would have to examine what these cultures would be like and why that would be hard for them to be friends, but how these two have overcome that, you know, sort of all part of that. Um, and uh, then, you know, finding, uh, we love the idea that Duran and have a good marriage. They're one of the best sort of marriages and relationships mm-hmm. in, in, in the show. And and um, it's fun to write for for people who, you know, have a lot of love love for each other. And, and Elrond and Duran do, and Duran certainly do. Um, and that scene, I feel like that scene didn't go through a ton of drafts. Um, That's a lot, a, 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 a lot of Jenny Hutchison. Yeah, it was a lot of Jenny Hutchison who's a brilliant writer and, and you know, wrote the heck out of episode two. And then a lot of it was just finding the chemistry of those performers. I mean, uh, you know, it was one of the earlier things we shot, so it didn't get, you know, uh, done a, a, a million times. But, you know, instantly they brought just a life and an energy and... and uh, um, I, I remember yeah. the uh, table read. So in, in January of 2020... None of us had any idea what we were in for. Hmm. Um, uh, there was a table read with every single actor in an enormous gymnasium in Auckland um, and every Amazon executive. I can't imagine what it was like for you guys. Um, we, we were happy because we were like, this show is going to be great. We, we had no idea what we were in for yet. Um, but I, I remember we, we just did the, the first episode and then we took a little break. We did the second episode. Um, and, and so you've got all these amazing and wonderful actors that, that you know, I, I mean, we are so unbelievably lucky to have found at this point in their development as artists and to, to, to want to go on this in, cr- crazy jump off the, the 
you know, bridge journey we've been on. Um, and at this table read, you know, two hours in, we get to Elrond walks in and, you know, has dinner with, you know, Sophia Dumbetti and Owen Arthur. And all of us just went, oh, God, they're going to steal the whole fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and that's them. That's, that's these two amazing, wonderful actors who have both have their own sort of Cinderella stories of how they got there and who just threw themselves into this and into building that relationship and making it feel real. And I mean, that's, again, that's not writing. That's just like, we, we feel so and, lucky to have found them at the right point in their lives where they wanted to do this and bring it to life. And they're wonderful. And, 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 and there's a true buoyancy of spirit that those human beings have. I mean, like when you like walk in the room and see Sophia, she will greet you like that. I mean, she won't say, oh, this beard, but she'll like whatever her, you know, expression is, she will come and give you a huge hug and it's like, oh my gosh, how are you? And, and there'll just be so, you know, so much intensity in life. And then Owain, you can hear him laugh from like two sound stages over, uh, you know, like always with this maniacal, you know, energy. It's, 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 uh, it's wonderful. They also both make a great roast. They're really great cooks and they love to host. So it, they really did feel like their characters to the cast as well. At the at the London Junket, Owen was uh, standing in the hall singing um, sort of under, you know, not quite, you know, sotto voce, but like very, very quietly just singing to himself up and down the hall. Of course he, he was. Sing, of course he was. It just felt right. It felt immediately right. This really has been like a, a, a labor of love. It's been very, very strange for all of us to be sort of touring the world and selling it <laughs> um, because we we all sort of felt like we were just making this enormous independent film and and we were on this island that couldn't be accessed because of COVID and um, we're, we're all sort of weirdly young in our careers and 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 really wanting to take this enormous swing. Um, and so we're talking about, you know, the dwarves, but like these are our friends. These are our families, the people we've we've been living and working with for multiple years now. And um, you know, it's really wonderful and a life project for all of us to be able to celebrate them and and have people respond to what they're doing. And but that's them. That's not us, you know? Amazing. Well I, I think we're pretty much out of time now. I will say this was an incredible episode of a fucking brilliant show and it is a great time now to be a nerd but I just want to say thank you all of you for yeah. giving us this honestly. thank you guys for watching thank, thank you, you. Really, so means much. really means a lot thanks again to Morfith Clark thank, thank you guys for having us J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay thank you and that was our Q&A with J.D. Payne, Patrick McKay, Charlie Fickers and Morfith Clark. Hope you enjoyed it. Next up, after a break during which we all retired to the bar and had canapes and drinks, true story, and during which Payne and McKay popped in to hold court with fellow Tolkien nerds, Team Empire assembled back on stage to discuss the episode and the show overall. Here we go. Do please enjoy. Look at that. That's amazing. What an amazing interview that just happened. That was so good. So good indeed. Uh, and now, folks, for the main event. <laughs> now that the famous people have left the building, it's time to talk shit behind their back. No, of course not. It's time to uh, dig deep into the season finale of The Lord of the Rings. I have to keep looking at it in case I forget what it's called. The Rings of Power. Power? Power. The Rings of Power. Only kidding, of course. Uh, please welcome. You've heard from Sauron himself. That was as close to a confirmation, I would say, tonight. I mean, they called him Sauron repeatedly to his face. <laughs> I'm saying that that was a confirmation that that was Sauron. So you've heard from Sauron tonight. Please welcome the mouth of Sauron, 
Helen O'Hara. I'm not, I'm not sure who's more outraged, me or James. <laughs> Please welcome the arse of Sauron. Hey. <laughs> James Dyer. I'm very, very tired. <laughs> I have been awake since before the breaking of the first silence. So. <laughs> Please welcome the perineum of Sauron. Sauron, I'll do it again. The perineum of Sauron, Dan Jolin. I dread to think where you're going with this. What? How could I possibly say anything bad about him on Warman? Look at him there. Look at him. Beautiful face, well-dressed, great opinions. The balls of Sauron? <laughs> I'm on woman, everybody! I was getting hopeful there for just one second. <laughs> well, what did you want me to say? <laughs> the piece of skin at the nape of the neck of Sauron. Um, let's start, shall we, with the revelation in this episode. You know, I used to like Hallbrand, <laughs> but lately I've begun to Sauron him. Aww. <laughs> I don't get it. Sour, sour on. Sour on him. I, I've soured on him, Dan. He's, he, he's a prick is basically what I'm saying. Oh. But yeah, this is a, this is, there, there are two big revelations, I would say, in this, in this episode. Uh, and the disclosure that the, the Halbrand is Sauron. This has been a mystery, even though JD and Patrick said that this wasn't necessarily the thing that was driving the series. From their point of view, from our point of view as viewers, that has been driving the series. Not really for Dan. Not really right? for Dan. I called it. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I said, how brand is Sauron and uh, the stranger is baby Gandalf. Baby Gandalf. I was right there with you on the Gandalf. Yeah. I, I did say that. He should have his own theme tune. Baby Gandalf. <laughs> Gandalf How does the rest babies? of it go? <laughs> yes. Well, now that you bring up tunes, Bear McQuarrie is doing extraordinary work. Ha! Got in there first. <laughs> <laughs> how dare you? But yes, uh, a lot of lot of genuinely spontaneous applause because the, the score of this show is one of my favorite in years, probably since Battlestar Galactica, let's be honest, on, in terms of TV scores. Yeah. Um, I think it's magnificent. And, and he's a bear. As well, which is incredible. Yeah. Most bears I know can't compose music. Do you know a lot of bears? <laughs> they just like marmalade, mm. as far That's as true. I can tell. Yeah. Now, I co-sign your thoughts on Bamakui. It's a fantastic, fantastic score. And not only are just the main themes great, the variations on them all the way through are fantastic. Just in this episode alone, when you think that Gandalf... And I'm saying that he's Gandalf. And I don't, they don't, I mean, I'm, I'm saying that he's Baby Gandalf. Gandalf. Call him by his proper <laughs> name. Baby Gandalf. When Baby Gandalf, you th when, when you think Baby Gandalf is Sauron, his stranger theme takes a very dark and ominous turn. But when he says, I'm good, and it's, uh, it's an awesome moment, um, it's a very. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It's so good. It's great. <laughs> it's a more heroic version of that theme than we've heard in previous times. And there's variations like that all the way through. It's just phenomenal. This is why everybody needs to watch Battlestar Galactica and see what he did before. That is great. true. Has he done movies? The, yeah, the he has done some movies. Little Bear. Yeah, he yeah. has. Yeah. What's he Which, done? I've just forgotten. And he did ago. Godzilla, King of the there Monsters. All right. He One star says Empire his, Magazine. It's not, it's not his fault. It's not his fault. Uh, Didn't he do Halo as well? Did he do the Halo music? It's not a movie, is it? I'll tell you what, idiot. It's not a movie. He did a score that... 
James will know. He did the God of War score. He did. Which is so phenomenally good. good. And he's good. back for God yes. of War Ragnarok because it's coming out in a month. Like, yes. I can't wait. Okay, to but we're not going to get into that. We're <laughs> going to keep on Lord of the Rings. Um, but yeah, yes. no, he, he is fantastic. I cannot wait to hear how he develops things further in season two and beyond. All right. Okay, we've talked enough about Bear McCreary. Yeah. We, were, we, we were talking about Sauron <laughs> and Could how I- Dan had called it. Did anyone else call it? No. I was open to it and I became... <laughs> I became you were Sauron curious. I was Sauron curious and I became more convinced of it as the season went on and in particular in episode eight. six. <laughs> episode eight. I, in episode six, he is wearing a bunch of rings down the middle of his front and someone addresses him as a lord. Now, it's pretty subtle, but I feel like there might be a message there. <laughs> See, for me, it was it was when when he saw you know the thing that really sealed it was when he turned up in Numenor and 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 sort of like walked past the blacksmiths and looked in and went oh yeah uh, that I also. like how it looks in there maybe I go in there and make something I was just wondering was that a double bluff I was still like at that point it's like that could be a bluff because I know that Sauron like literally forges shit but at the same time maybe he they're does. just messing with us okay you know so I was a bit I was a bit sort of I was still kind of sitting on the fence at that point but but we also should have noticed um something that. I don't think they mentioned tonight, but they mentioned previously um, when I saw this episode the other night that um, oh. that uh, wh- his very first introduction, when you see him on the raft, you only see one eye. Oh, really? He's half turned away from the camera. Uh, so that's a very subtle clue. You would that. have to be really paying attention. <laughs> so to to get it I got that. none of this. I didn't think he was Sauron. I didn't think the stranger was Gandalf. I fucked it all. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God. I, I stood up. I was like, no, no, no. I think you're fine. He's clearly going to be Saruman. He's not going to be Gandalf. Saruman. Like, Shit. Mm. Yeah. And and at on- the end, when he comes in, they say they want to cure us. I say we are the cure. They wish to cure us. I say we are the cure. It's another 80s reference there. Depeche Mode and now the cure. This is this is quite the evening. Uh, Amon, did you uh, did you drop any of your famous um, Amon guarantees and were they proved to be correct or incorrect? I'm not sure if I guaranteed it, but I was right beep, there with Dan. Beep, beep. <laughs> in our last podcast, I was the first one who said it's Gandalf. And then really Dan came in after Baby that. So, Gandalf. so really, I was the first one to say it's Gandalf and I was proven correct. Thank you very much. Are you gaslighting me? He is. <laughs> Check the tape. Check the tape. Yeah, that's said- true. It is, it is recorded. So fair enough. <laughs> but maybe I'm gaslighting myself. <laughs> But yeah, no, the Sauron reveal was a mm. complete surprise to me in the best way. Like I watched, <laughs> I watched the show at like five a.m. this morning. This episode, I'm pretty sure I woke up a couple of people in my house just going excited, just getting really excited. I messaged you at like six a.m. Um, <laughs> to say I'm so giddy, and I, only because I knew that you watched it and I needed to talk to somebody because just am I right? I mean, yeah, I did that to someone immediately. I, I, um, yeah, I, I had real problems because I, I had all these like joke ideas in my head and I couldn't <laughs> tell them to anyone so I was literally messaged him back going he's a 10 but he's the dark lord of Mordor you know and all these like memes in my head and I'm like I can't put them on Twitter I can't do anything with them until everyone else has seen it oh god did you guys fall for the fake out at the no, beginning no actually that's what convinced me that Halbrand was Sauron. Because I fell for it. I'm fucking useless. I, I, 100%. I was like, it's him, he's Sauron. And then it was like, so sweet. And then, no, and another so scene. Sweet. It's him, he's it's Sauron. Him. It's Nori. I always knew that Henry is Sauron. All of you were Sauron. 
It's true. There I was see sour a clue before the sour and big reveal in that. Was it a musical cue? <laughs> because if so, please don't tell me. No, um, he uh, tells Kalabimbo, he gives him the meatball and says it's a gift. And one of Sauron's names is Anatar, a.k.a. Lord of Gifts. Did anybody get that? Oh, very oh. Nerds! <laughs> I love that. They're yes, totally bullshitting as well. Said, oh yeah, I got that. You just said it was a safe space for it nerds. Is, it is. I'm kidding. I'm not. Said. I'm not nerd shaming anyone. It's important that you know that. Like, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Are JD and Patrick still here? Because they will break through that ceiling right now and nerd explain the shit out of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. of, of Tolkien for but us all. The, but this is genuinely like. So I'm out of my element with this stuff a little bit because like I really like the Peter Jackson movies, but the extended editions are about as far as I go into Tolkien lore. Like I'm not like I love fancy books, but I've, like don't fucking lynch me. But I don't I don't love Tolkien's books, and and so like so like Helen is forced to ring spling to me on a fairly regular basis. So it's it's quite a nice. You know. The last spoiler special we did for this, because I, I wasn't part of it, mm. and uh, listening back to the edit was hilarious, because it was just a bunch of grown men asking <laughs> Helen questions, <laughs> which was, which was mean, hilarious. I've only read The Silmarillion once. Oh I mean, God. I'm not, you know, quite as steeped in it as Yes, but you remember every yeah. word. Yeah. Well, I used to speed read The Lord of the Rings just for my amusement, see how fast I could, I could manage it in school. But, um, and how fast just, could you manage it? I mean, a couple of days. But Wow. The whole thing. Know, yeah. Do you just skip Tom Bombadil? Yeah. <laughs> I did skip most of the songs, or at least yeah. skim and the And at least songs. eight of the breakfasts. Oh, no. I, I was there for all the breakfasts. No, come okay. on. Come on. Don't be mm. ridiculous. Mm. Um, it, it's always interesting, actually, by the way. Uh, British uh, fancy novels and really any kind of novel apart from grim reality written in the 50s, there's a lot of descriptions of food because rationing was still in place. <laughs> oh, so my God. So literally, they're just all the these- The line of in the wardrobe. All those, yeah. Oh. All those Enid Blyton books with lashings and lashings of ginger beer, it's because there was still rationing and everybody was like, oh, imagine mm. ginger beer. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> and cream cakes and jam oh, and strawberry stop. shortcake oh, and jelly God. and trifle. I mean, we've just eaten them all upstairs. Yeah, that is true. Um, I had one canopy. That is a mistake. I had a, <laughs> a pea and a mint thing. <laughs> I really love the Sauron reveal, though. It, I, I was excited to rewatch this episode back to pay special attention to what Charlie Burkus is doing. And really, it makes me want to go back and rewatch the entire mm -hmm. season yeah. now that I know yeah. that he's Sauron. Well, it's really clever. We were saying this upstairs to the yeah. guys. It's like, it's, like, it's like when you watch Eternals again. Do you know what I mean? And you're just like, oh, I see what you did there. That's clever. Anyway, no spoilers for Eternals. Oh, um, yeah. In case anyone hasn't seen it yet. Um, I also love the reveal about the cart. This is a very, very important piece of information. <laughs> not least of all because one does not simply walk into Mordor. <laughs> but what well, is, although, what? in fairness, sorry, sorry. I've I'm been sorry. waiting to say that for about 10 minutes. Yes, but that last shot of him in this episode is literally walking into Mordor. That is true. That yeah, is but it's his manner. He can do that. I mean, yeah. It's not yet, but is it? Why, why does he just get a giant eagle? <laughs> just um, be done with it because of all, all the crap in the air yeah that's true yeah, that's, that's true, true actually, yeah. there's, there's too much like ash yeah ash. okay it's like you remember like when all the planes couldn't land because of the Icelandic volcano it's basically that for eagles <laughs> <laughs> I do love that now that Savon has been unmasked the first thing he does is like now I'm gone full bad it's time for me to get a black cape 
I love that. I love that. First order of business is great. And, and his hair, he's dyed his hair as well. It looks I like he he's dyed his hair. eyeliner as well. Yeah. He's got the yeah. works. I do, I do wonder, I do wonder sometimes about how the clothing works. I know we're not supposed to, but you know, Galadriel turns up in town having literally come back from heaven and yeah. someone's like, I mean, I have a dress that's your size. So, um, here you go. You know, it's, it's basically wherever she goes, somebody will give her an awesome outfit. Or a suit a of armor. A couture piece of armor <laughs> as well. It's amazing. Off the peg. <laughs> Yeah, it's super good. Yeah, where does he get his black cape from? These are the questions mm. that are going to These are the us. Qu- yes. <laughs> I'll snap awake at 3 a.m. tonight. Going, what the hell? How does he get his cape? But uh, but yeah, that's that's one of the big reveals, certainly the, the Sauron reveal. Uh, and, you know, what does that say in terms of how you have followed that like, Gladriel Halbrand slash Sauron relationship over the season and watched, and watched it develop? Is that a, a relationship you particularly clicked with? I, I liked it. I liked because I did clock pretty early on that she was sort of putting a lot of words in his mouth mm. and she was kind of pushing him in ways that he didn't seem to know whether he wanted to go or not. And then they had that very kind of emotional um, scene last episode where they sort of admit that they just want to fight together forever. Oh my mm. God, it's so romantic. <laughs> and um, and I, I have to say, by that point, like I say, I did have my suspicions, but that really also heightened my suspicions because it did seem like, well, that isn't going to work out for them. So something's going to come up. And one of the things that could come up is is obviously this. But but I, I felt like they did build in those layers. So, so it did feel sad when I concluded that that wasn't going to work out for them. You know, <laughs> I, I like it for Galadriel's arc. Because I think one of the criticisms, especially before that big scene you're talking about, was that she's so single-minded, she's so repetitive, everything is so geared towards Sauron, I'm going to get revenge on Sauron. A lot of her lines, a lot of her dialogue was to that effect. Now that we've got the fuller picture of what was going on in terms of the storytelling with Galadriel and with Sauron, that single-mindedness is now, you, you understand why the storytellers did what they did with that character. It's less of a criticism and now it's just like, oh, okay, I see what kind of sto- story you were trying to and tell. Al- and also I think it is, it is very significant that she gives up the dagger for the creation mm, yes. of the ring. She gives up, to some extent, that obsession Mm-hmm. In that moment, I think mm-hmm. as well, and and you know, like I said uh, in the Q and A, you know, having been proven right that she wasn't just being paranoid and making all of this up, and that he is actually out there, it's almost a weight off her mind. It's almost a relief. It almost allows her to let go of of some of the horrors she's been carrying in a weird way, even though she now has to actually beat him, find him again, beat him. Uh, you know, it's it's still it's still kind of a weight off her mind in a strange way. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting, isn't it, that the uh, yeah, there's so much that goes on in this episode, and you know, we haven't even talked about Lenny Henry or the Stranger yet, and we'll get to that, uh, believe me. But <laughs> it effectively ends. The last shot is of Sauron walking into Mordor, um, ordering a, a giant eagle and a cart. And <laughs> but before that, the, the the season really climaxes with the creation of the three Elven Rings. Is that where you thought it was going to? go uh, does that in in turn then give this show a very nice inbuilt structure this season two is going to be about the creation of more rings season three and so on and so forth until you know the, the big daddy of them all well like they say i think it's going to be dwarves <laughs> dwarven rings next season mm. men's rings the season after i think that, that you can't give out the humans rings yet because I, there's a i feel like there's a whole arc of numenorean kingdoms being set up in middle earth proper that has to happen so but but that's clearly now 
beginning, you know, those gears are turning. Uh, so we're, we're beginning to see things moving that way, but it makes more sense to, to focus on the dwarves next time who may be having trouble in their minds. Who knows? Oh. Uh, judging by the end of last week, you know, it's well, just yes. a thought. I love that the thing <laughs> to awaken the bulwark is littering. <laughs> uh, but yes, that's going to be very exciting. Yeah, Balrogs hate litter. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but it is interesting that this is the way that the the season climaxes is, is essentially, and we should be surprised in a way because it's called literally it's called the Rings of Power, and we discussed back in the first the first episode, the spot especially we did for the first episode, me, uh, Helen, and Dan. I was saying, what is the through line of the show really? You know, because it's the Hobbit has a very very simple story that you can grab onto. Lord of the Rings has has perhaps even an even more simple story you can grab onto. Ring bad, throw in, uh, go to Volcano, throw in Volcano. Oh, yeah, that's it's basically re- it's it. really straightforward, isn't that's it? Basically, I mean, that's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> but, but Tolkien dragged it out for three books, obviously. Uh, but, you know, with this, this was always going to be the through line. I just didn't really see it until mm. until now. And and I it's interesting that, that they've I made think... jewellery interesting. Yeah, that, yeah. And it's a beautiful sequence, actually, I think. Uh, the way it ends like with no dialogue, you know, the dialogue finishes, I think around five minutes before the episode ends. So that, that amazing yeah. montage of, of, and the drama inherent in it of what's happening, what Galadriel's giving up, what Elrond discovers, mm-hmm. what Elrond doesn't say to Galadriel, mm-hmm. what she sees mm-hmm. in Elrond. And then, you know, is what was left unsaid between them as all of this is happening. And on, in one sense it's presented as a kind of a triumph, but it's also in another sense, the beginning of a lot of very bad things that are going to happen, yeah. um, which I, 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 I just thought that was superb. And then, and then obviously we end, we end on Sauron arriving. But even before that, the only, my only criticism is maybe not so many shots of the three rings. You know, I, th- I could have just left with just, just the one. Would have been fine. It was a bit like what? a QVC channel, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> it was a little bit. Would you like to buy these rings? They're just $99.99 right now, and you can get them in three installments. I have a question about the forging of the rings. Bring it. Celebrimbor. Should we get JD and Patrick? Are they still yeah. here? <laughs> Celebrimbor is renowned for being an amazing Smith person. Should he not know about alloys before how brand brings now, it up? Wait a minute. Mithril. Myth, he's never worked with Mithril before. Yeah, I'm not talking about working with Mithril. I'm talking about uh, merging alloys with it yeah, one another. Basic metallurgy, yeah, I yeah, think, is I mean, what if, we're saying. If you're Celebrimbor, one of the finest Smiths in the land, should you not already know about that before Sauron gives you a, actually, yeah. you should know that. You should and it's twice it. as well. And he's like, oh, oh, don't force them together. It's like, oh, so, so you have to heat metal in order to do this. This is fascinating stuff, Halrand. You're a genius. Okay, you're not wrong. But in his defense, like he has been working with very pure Valinorian metal. So maybe he hasn't actually had to. And presumably a lot of his great work is still to come at this point because, you know, Clearly. Yeah. forging the sword. I like, think he delegates ain't, ain't a lot no, of his shit. Ain't nobody making mithril mail just yet. You know, so I feel like there's a long way maybe to go. But yes, I, 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 I somewhat take that. <laughs> I think that must be fair. Yeah. I am interested in this show, uh, talking if we can a little bit, I want to hear from you guys about this show as a prequel because... I, you know, my opinions on prequels, I think they are uh, inherently dramatically limited Mm. and I think they can be uh, the death of creativity, not from the creators, but because, you know, all of our people with the purse strings are so obsessed with brand names and everything else. So we just make prequels and sequels instead of doing new stories. Anyway, but so I was worried. I was genuinely worried, even though I want more Middle Earth and I want more Lord of the Rings and I want to see all of this, I was really worried. And I think what's been really interesting for me about this show 
is that there is there are so many blanks in the history that they have been able to fill in with new characters, new stories, uh, stuff we haven't seen before. Even where we know the characters and we know where they end up, it feels like there are many, many possible twists and turns in the road before they get there. So I am feeling, I'm actually enjoying this prequel and I'm you're very upset to say that, but like, it, uh, you know, <laughs> it feels like they've, they've given themselves enough room to do something that feels new. And I, I don't know if you guys feel that way or not. Yeah, it, it feels like you're not going from sort of A to B. You've got A to Z and you have all the letters in between and we Z. don't know what Z. their letters yeah. are. Z. Z, come on. The lost city of Z. Z's dead, baby. Z, I'm going full American. I'm going to say A to Z. Uh, but genuinely, it feels like there are lots of, there's lots of, of dots to be connected and they can do it in any way they want. You know, if it's just simple of Sauron tricked them into making some rings, it's like you've got a lot of latitude there. Like my thing with prequels is rarely about the sort of lack of dramatic tension because we know Galadriel's not going to die. We know what's going to happen to Sauron. It's the whole pissing in the pool thing, isn't it? It's like if you fuck it up, you've done fucked up three of my favorite films and I'll never forgive you. And it's just like, so, so actually the fact they haven't but, done that is why I love this. I don't, but okay, but I don't, I don't get that because they won't have fucked up your three favorite films or three of your favorite films because they will still exist. No, no, will be see, you say that, by... except it's not true. Because because <laughs> the thing is, the thing is, you know, I you can't now watch Star Wars without... Star Wars was good. Of course oh, it's God. Star Wars, but you can't now watch go. Darth Vader and think, I hate sand, it gets fucking everywhere. And it's just like, that's in my brain. It's never going away. And so well, I, sand does get everywhere. It does yeah, get everywhere. True, it does. And it's, I, again, it's, it, 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 it poisons it slightly. So I, it does. I, I don't know about that because this is a completely. And I, I wanted to ask you guys about this on building on top of what, uh, of Helen's point. This is obviously Peter Jackson free, and I wonder if there was an uh, a hurdle that people had to get past. That, Whenever the show was first announced, it was like you can't do Lord of the Rings without Peter Jackson. We have seen the Hobbit films, to be yeah. fair. I, I, I like the Hobbit films, but you know, but so, so, I did. I did. I liked as, as, it was as, a funny bit with the guy who went down the river. As a kid, I loved Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings. I mean, I I, I, it, to yeah. be honest, though, when I say I loved it, I loved the half of it that I actually watched. Um, <laughs> Uh, more than once, uh, I forgot that the second half of it was actually really rubbish. But um, you know, so to me, this kind of the, you know, Lord, and obviously, Lord of the Rings was also a book, and and for me as well, was it? Yes, it was also <laughs> it was also a role playing game. I you know, I I, I adventured in. I fucking bet you did. It was also a set of BBC cassette tapes that yes. was like this big, and with I- Ian Holm, Ian wasn't Holm, it? Was, yeah. as, as, as Frodo, Frodo yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, there, there there was all this. I was kind of you know my. Lord of the Rings was happening in my head or, or being introduced into my head in lots of different ways anyway. Mm. It's just Peter Jackson made it so bloody good. It mm. was almost unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and I, I did have worries at first because just visually this is very close to Peter Jackson and they've, they've taken mm. some of the kind of visual grammar of that. You know, the elves are Art Nouveau and the dwarves are Art Deco kind of divide that you see in the Peter Jackson films. They've, and the men are Art Garfunkel. Uh, indeed. And uh, they've, you know, they've, they've literally had Howard Shore do the theme for the, uh, which is for great. the series, which is great, but it's, you know, again, and even Bear McCreary is working with a lot of the same instruments and the same mm-hmm. sounds and the same types of sounds. So, you know, and the Balrog, for example, looks similar because I think they're working with some of the same concept artists. So yeah. even though they, these are not technically <laughs> related to Peter Jackson's films, they are, you know, sort of drawing from the same well in some ways. And again, you know, going into this, I was like, is this going to feel just mm. like a pale facsimile? And am I going to be able to enjoy this for its own thing? But 
so far it's kind of working for me because again mm -hmm. it feels like it's enough to to give me a leg up in understanding who's who and what's what but not so much that it feels uncreative mm, yeah. but also I, the, the production values feel cinematic do you know what i mean like it feels like like because and i know you're gonna possibly hurt me but wheel of time like look, <laughs> how dare you look but for all it's you know bits are like it feels a little bit cheap in a way that you know this doesn't like you think if i saw this on a big screen as we just did i wouldn't bat an eye did i think 100 like this yeah. feels like a, a yeah. big cinema thing they you could watch even, yeah. wheel of time up there it would not they could even afford a wheel. Indeed. I saw Wheel of Time on the IMAX and it looked fine, actually. <laughs> yes, it did. Yeah. That's what they're going for an IMAX. Fine. <laughs> Good I, then. This looked great, I have to say. <laughs> Seeing it tonight on the big screen was, oh, was yeah. it was amazing. And I, I think this is it's it's weird because even talking to them tonight or hearing you guys talk to them tonight, they have you know, they they're not hiding the fact that there were other movies <laughs> you know, there were movies made in this in this world by someone else. They're they're, lead, they're leaning into that. But I think they they've managed to bridge that really, really well and, you know, yeah. and create something that stands on its own two feet, but also lets the Jackson movies yeah. breathe live and breathe as well. Hundred percent. I think I love what they said earlier in terms of familiar but different, which I think is a perfect summation of this show. I definitely had a hurdle to get over in the first couple of episodes because I love the trilogy so much. I didn't have all the other versions of Lord of the Rings that you mentioned, although I, did, I think I played a, a PS2 video game, Return of the King, which is great. Um, but I just had the, the trilogy of the movies and I, I've watched them re repeatedly. They're great. Um, and so the first two episodes, I was just like, okay, that's Aragorn Light, that's Gandalf Light, that, that's, that's sort of how I was identifying some of these characters. But as the series has gone on and you've gotten to know more about the characters. They've become distinct in their own right. And I think this episode was the perfect balance of call, callbacks to the original trilogy and also using those callbacks to enhance the story and not undercut the story that you're telling in the present. Like the two major ones here are um, the follow, the, sound, the, the smell of your nose. Follow the smell of your nose. Follow the smell of your nose. And then the other one was the... Um, the Adriel line, which is said by Salvon in terms of stronger than the foundations of the earth, which is from Fellowship of the Ring. Um, and both of those lines are used to enhance the story they're telling in this episode, while still, as fans of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, like, ah, oh, that's cool, that's a callback. Um, so yeah, I, I love that. It's really good balance. Which brings us nicely on to Gandalf, sorry, the stranger. <laughs> Gandalf, or oh, baby Gandalf. Baby Gandalf, I believe. Call him, call him by his true name. Yep, that's it. Goo <laughs> goo Gandalf. Because he's a baby. Oh, okay. Please yourselves. Keep, keep Please workshopping. Yourselves. Keep workshopping. Now. Shut up. I'll come over there and end you. Uh, yes. I think, uh, I think if we go back again to the first sport, especially we were talking about who that guy is and you know, they, they, you know, they they did stop short. I think uh, JD nearly said it at one point. <laughs> he nearly said the G word at, at one point and stopped himself. Uh, James, do you still think he's Saruman or? I, I fear I may have been mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> wow! <laughs> if it's anyone wow. other than Gandalf, after they do that line, I will be pissed. I, I don't think you need to worry. Yeah. I really don't. I mean, look, Saruman can, Saruman can still be the eldest of them. He can Saruman. even have come to this Middle Earth first. He's just somewhere else having his own little adventure mm. and figuring out his own name, you know. So I feel like that, it doesn't mess with the lore. Again, they're working in the blank spaces of the canvas. So. Mm. Is it is it Saruman or Saruman? <laughs> Saruman. Do you, like, the rolling of the R is just the best. Galadriel, Mordor, Chris. 
Helen O'Hara. Well, I can roll my R's, so there's only so far I can go. But actually, you know, you, of course, you all know that J.R.R. Tolkien was a philologist. You isn't mean J.R.R. Tolkien. Thank you. Um, so he studied the evolution of languages and where words came from and uh, knew a fair bit of Welsh, which actually contributed a lot to his Elvish, which is why Morpeth Clark, on many, many levels, is a perfect piece of casting. I know a little Welsh. She's over there. No, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> also, we, coming back to the to the baby Gandalf business, uh, the moths. Yes. I thought that was a big tell for me, uh, or rather confirmation, um, in the sense that obviously that's that's important because he mm-hmm. yes he, he has a little moth friend, doesn't he? In, and in he turned M M&M into moths. <laughs> mm, that's right. Mm, yeah. I was I was a little bit confused about what was ha- what was happening there. If I'm honest, uh, well, they turned not- into moths. What's what's confusing? I mean, when you put it like that, <laughs> everything makes sense. But I haven't seen that done before. You know, I feel like like Tolkien wizards don't use a lot of magic. I mean, they'll, they'll throw the odd fireball when they're really, really up against it. But generally speaking, they just sort of wander around being wise and talking to people. <laughs> inscrutable. Yeah, a bit inscrutable and maybe make some fireworks. But that's a physical thing. It's not like, oh, you know. Abracadabra, whoosh, there's a firework. Like he makes a firework and he brings a firework. And he Expecto it. Patronum. But, but like this, is often, yeah. this is often, just to be properly nerdy, this is often talked about when they, people write fantasies that magic and fantasy should be governed by rules. Yes. And Tolkien had none of that. All right, like, Brandon Sanderson. Yeah. It's yeah. true. It's, it's 100%. And Sanderson talks about this a lot that fantasy needs structures, it needs rules. And Tolkien's magic is Gandalf can do either everything or nothing, depending on the day. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I just come up with my first Among Guarantee oh God. of the evening. Oh, goody. For season two, I believe that Baby Gandalf Baby is Gandalf. going to find his staff. Well, he's going to hire a bunch of people to work for him. I mean, it's going to make it. (laughs) It's going to be like the office. I mean, look, he's going on a long walking trip. Apply, you fools. He's going to find out the truth of who he is. Very good. Very good. (laughs) He's going to find out the truth of who he is in Rune. And I think that is where he will find his so, staff. So just to be clear, your guarantee he's going to get a stick. That's, that's, <laughs> whoa, whoa, wait, that's yeah. what you're saying. No, no, a magical so, stick. He's going for a walk and at going, some point you will have a stick. Are you guaranteeing a stick in Rune? You think the, the, the staff will appear in Ooh, Rune? You ask me to be very specific Yeah, now. I am, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what I'm going to do. The staff will be in Rune. <laughs> wow, there you go. And Gandalf will find it there. Did you, yeah. I mean, did anybody else have a little bit of a moment when, when the stranger picked up the, the ladies' staff and you were like, yeah. I'm good. Yeah. Oh, if, if, there, if there was any doubt whatsoever about <laughs> who he was, yeah, yeah it, it was gone by that moment. Uh, I think he's going to be, here's a Hugh, better believe it, buddy. Oh, you can take this one to the bank. Uh, he's going to have a new color next year and he's going to be Gandalf the Taupe. That's, <laughs> that's my prediction on that one. Yeah, Teal. he's going to cycle through the colors until he gets to Gandalf the Gray. That's what I think. He's, he's, he's already he's in gray. He is already in grand. Yeah, but he's good. I always assumed that just meant because he was old. <laughs> but he's not. Well, uh, you know, he's, he's, got, he's got to cycle through some, he's got to, he's got to go through some hard yards before he becomes yeah. Ian McKellen. So what, you, th- you think he's going to like experiment with fashion? Like he'll go through a golf phase? <laughs> Why not? I mean, I feel like Sauron's got that covered up at the moment. Well, so with, it, yeah, moment. with his yeah. black cape. With his black cape, yeah. yeah. And his black boots and, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, if they're going to Rune, they've got to go through Mordor to get there, I think. Really? Am I right? Who, know, who knows Middle Earth geography? In the second oh. age. Is, so, isn't yeah. Rune, Get that woman a is, microphone. Is Rune on the other <laughs> side of Mordor? Yeah. Oh, you yeah. can go around Mordor. 
Yeah, yeah. it's like a right. C shape. Isn't so, it? like the circle line, you can just <laughs> right. It's yeah. not a full circle. It's like yeah. a C shape. Yeah. Okay, okay, all right. Well, fine. I, you know, I thought maybe you could get a black cape when he went through Mordor because that's <laughs> it. They seem to hand them out at the border. Yeah. So, <laughs> did you guys believe Sauron when he's when he's given her the whole "No, I've reformed" speech? <laughs> What did you think? It sort of reminded me a little bit of the kind of Anakin Skywalker in Revenge of the Sith stuff about how he's how he's going to you know help the universe or help mm. the galaxy by bringing order and what have you. Uh, but it was better than that. <laughs> better said, be better written, be better acted. And anyway, um, but um, I mean, no, <laughs> that speech. That speech where he's basically saying. I'm not evil. I'm actually going to make everything better. And I know I look like the most evil person. But did you not feel that it sort of felt a bit like what it must have been when Liz Truss went to to Jeremy Hunt and said, I'd quite like you to be Chancellor of Exchequer? Bit of politics there. Yeah. 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 Uh, again, no, I, 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 I think he was uh, bullshitting loads of bullshit. See, I believed every word of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I believe that. I feel that, you know, I, I feel the true hero of this show, I think, has been revealed to us in this episode. So, uh, and, yeah, okay. it's Jeremy Hunt? and it's Jeremy Hunt. And it's, and it's, well, he's Liz Truss in James. this particular oh, okay. analogy. James, okay. can, we, can we have a little talk? <laughs> I, 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 I appreciate cannot, he's called the I Dark cannot, Lord Sauron, but he's misunderstood. I cannot do this again. <laughs> we are not having another fucking Thanos. <laughs> I, I like do, him. I don't know what to tell you. I just a, feel we have a black cape and the evilness. That's, it is. You, you, you it is. Onto that. Uh, what do we make of the stranger in overall in this uh, in this season uh, and Daniel Wayman's performance? I, because I, he's got to tread that McKellen line without actually you know going like a bit like Fassbender in the, the right, movies, me. who just kind of didn't Ali bother. Magneto. I am Magneto. Magneto. Everybody. Yes. Mm. <laughs> um, I, no, I think he's. I think performance-wise, he's been great. I think mm. he's he's absolutely treading the line of you know someone who has a native huge intelligence but also has no context with which he used that brain power and no understanding of anything around him and sort of so he's kind of learning at a well he is learning at a baby rate you know he's which is to say incredibly fast and like a million things at once um he's picking up things really really fast given how long he's been around but he just has no life experience to draw upon yet mm. i'm glad that he now has stronger command of the language though i think that opens up a number of interesting story possibilities Podcasting. in season two <laughs> <laughs> well he is a white male so <laughs> Mordor she wrote that's what it'd be called that's good that is good stuff uh, right there um, did you see that 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 turn coming and why do you think they've held back on confirming him as baby I, I think it's too many it's like you've had your reveals it's like let's save something I think if you tie everything up in the first season yeah. it feels a little bit anticlimactic well that's why the, the callback is so beautiful because it confirms to us that yes it's Gandalf but he still has to go a ways to earn that name to earn his staff which he will do in season two <laughs> in Moon um, so so yeah I, 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 don't, I, yeah I just don't think you need to say the name I mean yeah. it's just like it's just so obvious he's wearing grey he's got a big long beard he's saying things that Gandalf says he turns things into moths he hangs out with, <laughs> with people who look a lot like hobbits yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, he is good mm. I mean, I'm just I, I just don't understand how anyone yeah. can't think it yeah, I'm. I very much agree, and I think they're sincere. I think they're they're sincere in saying that he hasn't quite earned that name yet. He hasn't quite mm. got to that point of being 
Gandalf or Mithrandir or Olorin or you know Maybe whatever other name There's you want to so give There's so many yeah. names that guy has. Good grief, pick one. But uh, <laughs> but yes, uh, I'm sure we're going to get all of them in due in due time. So for any, anyone on, on this panel who's a real Tolkien uh, expert, Helen, hello. Um, <laughs> I speed read the Wikipedia page for wow. for Gandalf, wow. uh, but you've you've read the Silmarillion and the Unfinished Tales. And you know Gandalf goes potholing, and all those great stories that, that Tolkien wrote. How does he get that name? Is it given to him, or does he does he happen upon it? Does anyone know? Actually, if you know, Helen doesn't know, it sounds like what a small child would call call their grandparent, Gandalf. Gandalf. Yeah. No, I don't know. Does anyone know? Okay. Aha, that makes me no feel one. better. That makes me feel better. That's good. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think he has just a way to go to, to start earning names for himself. I mean, you know, Sauron has many because he's been around a lot longer. Um, Gandalf will eventually accumulate as many, pretty mm. much. Perhaps Nori gives him mm. his name and then she gets you. You well done, Nori. You've earned your name in Gandalf badge. Oh, boy. Hey, really doggy liked, reference there. I really like Nori's farewell uh, to her fellow hobbits. That oh, was, that was very sweet. Harfoot. Yeah, that was heartbreaking. Yeah. That really was. Although, I mean, it is weird to me that a nomadic people exist, and her whole thing is, I want to go off and see the world. So it's it's a really. Do you know what I mean? It's but it's a. I get, it does make sense because it, they're a very particular kind of nomad. They are nomads who keep away from everybody else, and she wants to actually see the other people. But it's an interesting kind of different thing from usual. Yeah, uh, I think the idea is that yeah, because they move around a lot to stop from. You know, to, yeah. to to not be discovered. Um, so, but I think they kind of have regular spots that they move around from and to, and everything yeah. like that. So, um, but you would have thought that in the past, at least a few other halfers would have done what Nori did. Half feet? No half <laughs> Um Should we talk about the people who weren't in this episode? A bit? Uh, well, we could, but I was going to talk about Lenny Henry. Uh, uh, should we talk about Lenny Henry first? That was. Should we have a minute silence for? I was, I was very sad when that happened. Very good. It's, it's, it's getting late. Isn't okay. It? All right. Anyway, um, but yes, yes. Poor old Lenny shuffled off his mortal coil. He didn't. I mean, it seemed a bit. That didn't need to happen, did it? Really? It, it would have been all right. I mean, well, well I no, no, because he show. he's got to be in the Witcher Blood Origin in December, so presumably he needed this to happen. I think. I think actually, I think a lot of it came from the fact that um, you had to show that those women, the, the cult of something, I've forgotten the name. Um, but the dweller and her her friends, let's say, were formidable because they were freaking shape shifting, magic wielding, trained warriors twice the size of the Harfoots. If the Harfoots had just strolled up and taken Baby Gandalf home, you would have been a bit like, I mean, that seems unrealistic, yeah. you know. So I, I I feel like there had to be consequences, consequences to that <laughs> to that attempt on their part to to rescue Baby Gandalf, and I think, um, I, I, you know. Sadly, that was that was Sir Lenny. But you yeah. can't kill Lenny Henry. <laughs> I mean, I didn't. I wouldn't. But like I'm just saying, that's probably what their thinking was. Okay. Yeah. Nah. I agree. Um, heroic sacrifice is one of the themes of Lord of the Rings, and it fits in with what uh, Elendil and Muriel were saying uh, in this episode as well. In terms of pushing on, there's going to be prices to pay, but we need to push on. Come what may. Mm -hmm. The conversation of tribe really, really liked, mm -hmm. and uh, that was embodied by Lenny Henry in this in this episode. Poor old Lenny. Poor old Lenny. Maybe he's not dead. <laughs> I think he's not dead. Again. I'm, I'm not saying everybody's dead, but I think he is. It was, it was a lovely death scene, though. Yeah, it was, it yeah. Was. And, and, but it's also, I mean, um, you know, not the only death, of course. Um, King Tar Palantir, I believe his name is, Muriel's father, also died. Yeah, that was funny, wasn't it? Mm. 
it's sorry, mean, it's, it's a funny ha ha. Well, no, no, <laughs> no. I, I just don't. I don't want to kind of spoil something else. But has everyone seen the latest House of the Dragon? No, yeah. Dan. no, not everyone has. We don't mention that show here, yeah. Dan. There's, <laughs> there's astonishing parallels uh, mm. regarding that. Astonishing parallels. It's mm. almost like they they sort of like read each other's scripts and went. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, so I, think, which I think from what these guys were saying, they absolutely didn't read each other's script. Nobody yeah. read anybody's script. Yeah, I know. But, but it, was, it was like, you know, in one I'm week, guards, I've seen two scenes almost exactly the same involving... Uh, and then She-Hulk had the King. same thing. <laughs> yeah. An, an yeah. King Although, <laughs> you say that, but Kevin had three eyes, one red... One blue. I'm just saying, <laughs> the three rings, it all comes full circle. Wow. That's because Kevin makes near-perfect products. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen She-Hulk, it means nothing to you. It makes no sense. We're going to spoil uh, three episodes in, in fuck one Fuck it, let's ruin everything. Session. Andor, should we ruin Andor? No, no. What's happening seen in that, yeah. order? Okay. Uh, what happened on Countdown today? <laughs> I want to ruin that. Is that guy still, is he still winning? Or is he now, do they, I think they kill Countdown Champions when they get to a certain point, don't they? And they regenerate into conundrums. I only watch quality television. Yeah. What? No, no, no. We don't Countdown, Countdown is no, quality no, television. No, don't you no, come no, at Countdown. No. Countdown is great. I want to go on that show and lose hope. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? Oh, Anyway, yeah. Anyway, uh, speaking of countdowns, we've only got 10 minutes left. So, Helen, let's talk about the people who aren't in this episode, which right. is a great idea I just had. Oh, that is a fantastic So, not appearing idea. in this episode. So, um, you know, well, we didn't... So, okay, so Isildur is out there somewhere. Does anyone believe he's dead? Hands up if you actually believe Isildur. <laughs> no. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Explain your thinking, James. Who's I'm curious. He just, I, I mean, I like to be consistently wrong if I'm going to be wrong. So, <laughs> yes, he's dead. Wow. Okay. Yeah, he's we, replaced we with... And it's going to be a different something. generations, Elendil and Isildur. Who become... Isildur, the next generation. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When they'll be bald and, yeah. and wear yeah. little <laughs> combadges. Um, okay. Well, there we have it. Uh, that That's going to explain that. And but like, really maybe dead. it's a bit like uh, House of Dragon. We're mentioning it again, where everyone just has the same name. It's Isildur, son of Isildur, whose uncle Isildur is like, what? Like George Foreman. Yes. You know, George Foreman named all his sons George, and he has like 10 sons. <laughs> I'm not all called George Foreman. Yeah, and I believe all his daughters are called Georgina. Wow. Look it up. Georgia. Georgia. Georgia Foreman. Isildur, I don't believe, is dead. Um, who else is on the board? We've Joanne. got... Well, I was going to which, stay which over Isildur's part of the world first. I see. Talk about Aaron Deer and yeah. Bronwyn and Theo. Um, Theo can fuck off. Not being funny. <laughs> Who wanted him to die? Raise, raise your hands. Come on. I mean, I feel like he's harsh. kind of... Look, first of Not all, at all. First of all, he's a kid. Second of all, he's kind of come back, you know, from no. the edge a little bit. No, no. Burn in the fires of Mount Doom, you little shit. <laughs> okay, let me... Another follow-on question. Uh, who believes... <laughs> that Theo's hair is hiding his ears for a reason. Somebody's put two hands up immediately. Okay. Um, why, 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 why is that? Why do you think that? Because he's half elven. He's half, yeah. Why do we think that? So you think Aaron Deer and Bronwyn have already sealed the deal? I think Aaron Deer and Bronwyn have already been, you know, a little bit of, you know. You don't, 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 hang on a minute. Is he daddy or stepdaddy? It's the eternal conundrum. Yes. But I mean, I just feel like there's a little. Step zaddy. Step Zaddy. Mm. Uh, I just feel like there's there's the possibility there that there's been something going on already. That's all I'm saying. Am I really? Is it really just us? Is it it's me definitely her? just you. Oh, okay, the two oh, people at the back. People, all right. Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. We know what's what. All right. <laughs> mm -hmm. Hang on though. You could be a half elf and not have pointy ears. 
Why would yeah, you? If you, you don't can necessarily be half elven and look presumably you yeah. can be half elven and look human. Like, like Elrond and his brother. Am I the only one who spent an alarming amount of time trying to unpick GCSE massing? Well, if his parent, if his dad was half elven and his mum was half elven, does that make him a quarter or an eighth elven or two fourths? And I was trying to reduce the fractions in my head until I worked out it just, he's still half elven. What Elrond are we talking <laughs> yeah. about? Elrond is literally half. Yeah, because but like but, it's, which, like, but it wasn't like his, his it's not like his mum is human and his dad is an elf. Like his mum is half elven, like his dad is half elven, so he is half elven. Okay. Everyone's half elven. Well he and he Aren't and you glad brother, you stayed? <laughs> and Who you know, wants to do the maths? On he this? and his brother had the choice of whether to be what to be half elven or not. That's what his brother was the first king of Numenor. They well, they talked about it. it in a it's previous more episode. mortal, immortal. I think is the the decision really. Oh, so it's pointy years all round, but you so, can yeah, choose yeah, to live forever or not. That's a, what if, what, if, not though, what if when you're thirteen, you get the sticky on ears, <laughs> and that's that's Perhaps. and that's how you become elven. Okay. All right. Oh, I'm glad we cleared this. I've learned something. This is yeah. good. Well, okay. Elvin has left the building. Uh, Amon, who were you? You wanted to talk about someone who wasn't in this episode. Who was that? Durin! 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 has still, for me, the best line of this season. Give me the meat and give it to me raw. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the best. Which is your Tinder bio. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know that is the question. Wow. <laughs> I like um, to keep tabs on people. <laughs> um, but yeah, now he is one of the MVPs of this season yeah. for me. His relationship with Elrond is fantastic. Uh, and I'm really excited to see uh, how they're going to develop his storyline, especially now that the Balrog has awakened. Uh, maybe uh, the dwarf uh, homeland is not, <laughs> not long for this world in many respects. So it'll be well, interesting to well, see. Because it can't, it can't, the Balrog's got to take its sweet time about this, doesn't it? Because by the, when Gandalf and the Fellowship get to Moria, they don't, you know... They're expecting the dwarves no, to be no. there, aren't they? No. no. The dwarves delved too deep. Oh, I know that. And they woke something. Yeah. What do you yeah. think they woke? <laughs> I don't know. The Balrog. Oh, of Morgoth. And then he went back to sleep for a bit. Yeah. He got a bit tired after eating all the So snooze. He hit snooze. And then he. Okay. And then he gets reawoken. Because they're all like, hey, dwarves, we're here. And they're all dead. So, so are you saying that after we saw the Balrog awaken, how, how much he of went the Balrog back to bed. Do, we think, do you think we're going to see in season two? Mm. I don't think. Because mm. it's going to be the dwarf season, isn't it? If it is the dwarf season, it would make sense that they have some problems with something underground, wouldn't it? Mm. On the other hand, I feel like that mithril is going to get mined again. I feel, first of all, I think it's fairly clear there's going to be a dwarf struggle for power, mm. yeah. right? Between yeah. Durin and Durin. Durin and Durin. That's going to be confusing. Um, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it's, it's like House of the Dragon, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, and, and I think that. R. Durin, not Peter Mullen Durin. Peter Mullen. Peter Mullen. There we go. (laughs) Is going to probably win and start mining Mithril again. And that's going to be important for making things Mm. like Bilbo's coat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then and then I think there might be some problems with, you know, some underground troublemaker pest type (gasps) Alrogs. Uh oh. Um, Ladies know. and gentlemen, I've just thought of Amon guarantee number two. Oh, God, here we go. What incredibly obvious thing are you going to guarantee for season two now? I think that Sauron is going to disguise himself as, as a bat. As a dwarf in order to get the mithril that he will need to mine his ring later on. Okay, I don't know about disguising himself as a dwarf, but I think what he is going to do over the next few seasons is inveigle himself into Ooh. different in, into different civilizations. Well, we know he's and going to go to Numenor. That we, we know he's we going know to go to Numenor yeah. from, from the histories of, um, spoiler, yeah. I mean, like for anyone who hasn't you know, mm-hmm. read the appendices. But yeah, he will 
He will inveigle himself into other places that will enable him to inveigle. Isn't that good? Uh, Use it again. Enable him to (laughs) get these rings into positions to do the most corruption Mm. possible. So I feel like that's going to happen. But I don't. I mean, like, are they just going to like? There is a scenario where they recast Charlie Vickers every season. Mm-hmm. And they have a new person playing Sauron every season, essentially, and he can come and go between those actors. But I, I think they're going to stick with Charlie Vickers, just because he said he was yeah. with the cart. He's, 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 he's in a cart. He's in a then cart. again, he's only shot one shot. He's so only that, shot one shot. Maybe somebody he might takes over. You know, regenerate into Peter Davison. <laughs> he, could, he could do. Peter Davison would be the obvious choice. <laughs> the obvious choice, or Sylvester McCoy, but he's already got. He's already got a part. Yeah, he's already yeah. got it. Uh, all right, listen, we've got to wrap this bad boy up. Uh, so anything else you want to talk about real quick from this episode or this season? Amon's got his hand up instantly. Uh, this is a very me answer. But oh, God. Talked <laughs> about the music. We've, yeah, we've already done this. But we have not talked about When the Shadows Lie by Fiona Apple, which yeah. is the closing track, and it's very, very good. It is good, isn't it? Yeah. I quite, See, that that poem, the right, that gives me chills. Yeah. It does give me chills. Yeah. I like very that Very ominous. Mm. But it's good, yeah. Good track, good track. I'd say better than most of the other. It's a banger. Original Ringsy Hobbity songs, apart from, oh. the, apart from the Neil Finn one. Which I oh really no! Like. The, the, what's like the episode all. where the Hobbits start singing? You know, which is you know where they're, 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 no, just no, <laughs> no. You didn't like that song? No, it's really no, no, nice. It's no, on the no, soundtrack. No. But this is everything I hate. Like the, this is the thing about I don't like the breakfast, the washing up that takes forty five minutes, or the singing. These are the things I don't like. I don't so, like so. green food. No, <laughs> that too. That's what one of them says, isn't it? Anyway, so um, all right, okay, we've talked about that. Uh, anything else? Good. I'm just gonna nope. check my notes real quick. Haven't Real quick enough about Disa, but I love her, and I think she is yep. going to be a bit Lady Macbethy, and I'm here for it. So, oh, that's an interesting prediction. All right, real quick uh, thoughts of season one. Happy overall. Yes. 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 Good. Yes. And and it's I, I find it surprising how it seems to have polarized people like, that it hasn't been like genuinely on the Pilot TV podcast. We had someone give us a negative review because they didn't believe that we could like it. As, well, I could like it specifically as much as I did, and I must be being—I'm in the pocket of Big Mordor, apparently. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and should. I was just like, "It's fucking brilliant." What is wrong with you? I do wonder if there's something in it, like we are nerds, and you know, yeah. it does I think maybe we're pre—we're predisposed. Yeah, to it like leans—it yeah. it leans heavily yeah. nerdward. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. You should—you should try and tweeting something positive about She-Hulk and see where that gets you. Brilliant is not the adjective I do. I, I really, really enjoyed it. I do think it's good. I think now that we've seen the totality of season one, the ending makes me want to go back and revisit the show to see how it plays now that I know sort of the, what the full picture is. Because especially for the early going, the pacing was off for me. And it felt like they were drawing a lot of stuff out. A lot of the reveals that they were keeping until this episode, I needed to see a little bit more of what that might be earlier on but now that we know who certain characters are it means that we can invest in their journeys more and it makes me even more excited for season two now that i know that gandalf is gandalf and so on and so on can i tell you my favorite thing in the whole season Bring Go it on. Down. the bit where jorin steals a table from the high <laughs> oh, so just to fuck yeah. with them yes absolute high point yeah that is I mean, it. I want to see more of that in season two. I want to see him get a set was, of chairs for that table. Come on. <laughs> he was uh, he was snow trolling them. Yeah. Oh no. I mean, Gil Gil Gallad literally goes around dressed entirely in gold. He can afford a table. It's, it's a fun. look. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and real quick, predictions for season two, Ellen? I think there's going to be dwarf uh, conflict, at least not not necessarily physical fighting, but, you know, political con- conflict at the very least. I think we are going to see uh, Numenor reaching out to Middle Earth. I think we're going to see uh, a lot of politicking among the elves about who gets to wear these rings. Spoiler, one of them goes to Galadriel. Does she get she doesn't get it straight away though, does she? Yeah, doesn't she, she does. inherit she's Oh she does. She's the, I believe she's the only one who's had the same ring the whole time. Okay, because there's a bit of shuffling about mm. who has the rings. Okay. She just buys it in QVC. Yeah. Uh, James? Uh, I think there will be a bigger ring piece at the end of sorry. At the end of the, the yeah. At the end of the season. Seven, in fact. Wow. Uh what's in the box? Oh. Indeed. Dan. Well, aside from Jorin getting the chairs to go with his table. Um, <laughs> I, hope that's, I hope that's the big storyline of the yeah. season. Yeah. <laughs> I really do. Okay. Um, uh, this, I don't know. This is as much what I really think. Uh, this is a bit of a punt, but maybe the return of Celeborn. Because, because she says he died and we know he's not. So maybe mm-hmm. season two will have a kind of, you know, end of episode. Knock, knock, knock at the door. Gladiel opens the door. <gasps> <laughs> and then it's like you know Martin and this is why we don't run shows this is why maybe his long captivity will explain why he talked in that really weird way in sort of like this but I much desire to speak with him Amon any more guarantees to add to your I guarantee that Isildur will return I mean duh well you should have said it then I no I also guarantee that the name Saruman will be Saruman. Saruman. Because once Gandalf finds out the truth of who he is in Rune, along with his stick, um, he will want to find the head of his order. And that will be Saruman. But doesn't he come later? Like he's, I mean, he's, isn't he third age? The they're they're all meant to be third age in terms yeah. of coming along as wizards. But mm. as you heard, yeah. they have an explanation yeah. as to how they could mm. be there earlier. So okay. It's fine. Yeah. Well, uh, my only guarantee is that somebody will toss a dwarf, and that's... <laughs> Nobody tosses a dwarf! I'm afraid it's going to get pretty damn sexy, uh, season two. <laughs> that's my that's my take on that one. Uh, but listen, on that note, that is it for this epic evening, this incredibly epic evening. We want to say thank you, of course, to everybody at uh, Prime Video who made this possible. Uh, we want to say thank you to our incredible guests, uh, J.D. Payne, Woo! Patrick McKay... Charlie Fickers and Morbeth Clark, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to say thanks to everyone at DDA who made this possible as well. Everyone, yes. the incredible staff of this uh, wonderful picture house in my old manor of Finsbury Park. Fantastic. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much indeed. Thank you to you guys for coming. And for yes. those of you who stayed as well and didn't get drunk upstairs with JD and Patrick. So <laughs> thank you for, for staying the course. And thank you, of course, to my four colleagues, such as Lisa Cunning. I'm on Warman. Woo! Peace. Dan Jolin. Namaria. James Dyer. <laughs> Helen O'Hara. Too late. And it's goodbye for me. I'm off to enfagle my way into Max's sandwich shop before it closes. <laughs> See you there. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. And that was Team Empire. And that is it for this epic The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power spoiler special. Our overload of shows dedicated to peak TV is coming to an end. She-Hulk has finished. House of the Dragon is about to finish. This show has finished. Andor is still going on, but you'll be getting spoiler specials for House of Dragon, a mid-season for Andor at some point as well over the next couple of weeks. And of course, there are tons of movie spoiler specials coming your way as well, including a couple of tasty treats 
to keep you sated or satant just in time for Halloween. Right, that's enough for me. I'm off to do what Tolkien could not do and finish the unfinished tales. I think, and they all lived happily ever after. It's a belter of an ending. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. 